Hi everybody out there in podcast land and welcome to Poddy Wood, the show where we talk about movies with the people who make movies. I am your recovering from COVID again, co-host Steve Hester and with me as always is... Yes, this is kind of like the COVID passport episode. You've got the COVID and I've got the passport. Yeah. My name is Andrew Roger Carson. I am your co-host this very eve. This is not the mini-sode. We are back to some kind of regular format this week. Some kind of regular, anyway. Some kind of. Steve is on his second bout with COVID. Yay! That he didn't pick up from Derbyshire, but he could have picked <laughs> up from Salford. Who knows? Oh, God, no. I've never been near Salford in, in the last oh year, as far as I can help it. Uh, no, it just basically came out of nowhere. My uh, My partner came down with it, and I... Spent then like about a week sleeping on the couch, trying to look after the kids and just generally going nuts, trying to keep them from killing each other and going off to work and doing all kinds of dad stuff. And then in the end, it didn't really matter because I ended up coming down with it as well. It was bound to happen. It's bound to, yeah. It's bound to. When one's got it, you're all getting it. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, you know, it's it's a day of celebration because we are recording this on the 4th of July. Oh, wait a minute. The 4th of July. How very weird, because what's in the box last week was born on the 4th of July. And I'm going to be honest with you, I only realised today <laughs> when yeah. we were doing the show, it was like, oh my God, that's the freakiest occurrence. It was not a setup. I swear to God, it honestly did fall out because originally it was going to be 101 Dalmatians. Yes, that's but true. Seen that. That's true, because uh, Andy does have a box, and in that box are loads of titles of films and it just so happened that this was the one that got uh got brought out uh but yeah oliver stone 1989 uh which makes a change from 2007 uh oliver stone the height of his powers with uh, tom cruise starring as ron kovic uh although ron covid might be a better idea for today um <laughs> the vietnam veteran who decided that he was going to write his life down in a book and then went on to be a uh, speaker about uh, veterans rights it's a story about how he was uh a young man and how he got drafted into the uh, the army, um, how he was injured during his time in Vietnam and how he came out and basically how he was treated post-injury. And uh, there's a couple of really horror- horrifying scenes of uh, just medical neglect going on in this, uh, in this so-called veterans hospital, which is like something out of a third world country. Slapping on Booper. Yeah, or in Salford. And uh, it is just it's just mucky and there's rats everywhere and there's fecal matter just being dropped onto the floor and it's it's horrible. And then he comes out and he's effectively being uh sworn at and spat at by the very people that he thought he was going over to to defend democracy for. And it's kind of a, a thing which has been said by a lot of Vietnam veterans, particularly towards the later stages of the Vietnam War. Of which I didn't realise lasted around about 20 years, because I looked it up, it was between about 1955 and 1975, and it it featured different kind of arenas. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I always thought it was kind of like this period of about maybe seven or eight years where the war was happening. I had no idea it was that long. And then it just carried it on in the 80s by having every single Vietnam veteran being a burned-out psychopath in your action movies. yeah. That, that was kind of like the default case going past that was, no, if you're in Vietnam, 
you're either uh, massively scarred physically or massively scarred mentally. You know, yeah. You you either had no legs and were burnt to a crisp after experiencing napalm, or you were mentally battered like John Rambo was in the original Rambo movie. You know, there was no in between. But then again, I don't suppose anybody really comes back from war the same person that they were before. This movie, it touches on that, and Oliver Stone himself, he was a, a Vietnam veteran, he yep. came back, he was... Was he awarded the Purple Heart? I think he was. I think so. I know that he and Ron Kovic got the same awards, the same kind of... Uh, what's the word? Not merit. Honours. Um, Honours, that's yeah. the word. Yeah, I know that they share the same kind of honours, which is where this natural kinship between the two of them came. Yeah, because I know that the Purple Heart is if you've been wounded in the line of duty. That's where that one comes from. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, Getting back to the movie, what you have here is you have a quite a nice example of Oliver Stone deep delving into something which for him was very personal. And yeah. I think it shows in the movies that he that he did round about this period. And I know Bill's not a big fan of it for, for very, very personal reasons. But I'm a fan of the movie JFK. Um, yeah, and even true. though he plays very, very fast and loose with a lot of the uh, the, the subject matter and the, the stories behind what exactly went on, you can tell he was putting a lot of effort into it as a filmmaker, and he's putting an awful lot of effort into it here as well. There is some very, very heart-wrenching scenes, particularly when COVID comes back and he's uh, drunk. When and COVID comes back. Is that what I said? Did I say COVID? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's in my brain. It, 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 Get out of my it brain. Is. It is heart-wrenching, but for different reasons. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he gets drunk and he comes back and he's talking with his family about how he just feels like he's been victimized and uh, just ignored and forgotten. And the people that he was fighting for are completely just throwing him under the bus and he just kind of breaks down and it's heart-wrenching. You know, it's, it's heart-wrenching to see. Um, and then that kind of gets swapped on its head and you end up, with him having a uh, a wheelchair battle with Willem Dafoe in the the third act, yeah, which was actually the very <laughs> last thing that was shot in this movie. But yeah, it's I wouldn't say that it was my favorite film that I've seen of the Vietnam War. I mean, there's been other stuff that has come out of What's in the Box, which I thought was more affecting, and there are parts of this where I just think he's he 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 seems to be so obsessed with creating this time span of a movie that it feels like it's missing parts it just kind of feels like yeah. there's bits which need to kind of just plug up the gaps like he goes from he goes from uh being basically like 19 and wanting to join the military to being 54 within the space of about three years and i think that's kind of like to do with the costume and the the hair the wig the wig and the moustache do not do him any favors. Let's let's be let's be really really honest about this. They do not do any favors. Whoever did those needs to be fired. Because I have seen some terrible terrible makeup jobs. But oh dear, that was shocking. But you see, the thing is, when you when you look at Oliver Stone, and it's a love or hate. I think over more recent years, it's not been the same Oliver Stone. When you see some of the movies that he's you know pushed out. But when you look at his Mount Rushmore, I would actually put this on his Mount Rushmore, <laughs> along with JFK. I will put that up there. Um, I'll put Wall Street up there. And controversially, I'd, I'd be stuck between Platoon and Natural Born Killers for different reasons. Mm. Okay. Uh, but I do think 
I mean, you, you've with what's in the box, you've really got to look at it in two different time windows. How are you watching it now and how the film was back when it was released? Yes, because this would have been a much more of a raw uh, nerve for the American people then as it was now. Exactly. You know, and I remember when it came, I saw the movie when it came out, and I saw Platoon when it came out, I saw Heaven and Earth when that came out. You know, and you have to look at these films at how it kind of reflects the world attitudes of the time, right? Because that's what film is. It's a time window. And looking at this back then, uh, Vietnam War, it was still an incredibly touchy subject, even though a Vietnam movie was being released every single week on VHS mm. or TV. You know, the 80s became the decade of the Vietnam movie. And... Um, I kind of look at this film around that time. It's it's kind of great because there was something different going on with actors back then. What do you mean? And look at the ensemble cast you have throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. There are names everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I was doing that while I was watching it. It's like, oh, look, there's Tom Berenger. Uh, yeah, there's Tom Sizemore. Yeah. There's John C. McGinley. Yeah, I know it's like you, you barely see his face, but you just kind of you can tell by the tone yeah. of his voice. And so, he was he's wearing a pink suit, and I wonder if that was kind of linked in with Wagons East a few years later. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> a nice Wagons East re- reference. Yeah, that film's uh, been forgotten about ever since. Oh yeah, you also have Wayne Knight in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is packed to the gills, full of actors who just came in, and all of these stars all of these movie stars they didn't receive an upfront salary for this movie because universal really wanted to keep the cost down because they didn't fancy its chances of you know really turning any money they Mm. didn't even have any faith i mean this was universal they didn't have any faith that tom cruise could handle this role you know and originally it was going to go to our boy charlie charlie sheen uh reprising obviously his working relationships since platoon with oliver stone and they were not set on Tom Cruise playing this role. They didn't think that he could handle this level of drama. I mean, obviously, they never watched Cocktail, but, you know. Um, this was kind of where that period of Tom kind of establishing how far he will go for a role. Apparently, uh, there's, there's a story going around that he and Oliver Stone actually wanted to use an actual nerve agent to cause temporary paralysis. <laughs> so, right. Compared to the levels Tom Cruise goes to on his movies, that's actually pretty tame. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, Tom, we want you to make sure that, uh, you know, you, you can't walk through this movie. So what we're going to do is we're going to shoot you through the back with a shotgun. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of you don't actually think that uh, that they will go that far, but you know they had those conversations, don't you? You oh, know yeah. it got brought up at some point. Well, uh, apparently... The... They, they stopped the conversation on it because apparently they couldn't find one that was actually safe to use yeah. in that kind of scenario. But uh, in, in speaking about the cast, I mean, you've got plenty of people from Platoon there. Um, quite a few people from the Oliver Stone catalogue. I think he must have had access to an amazing mm. amount of talent. you know. And for, for God's sake, this movie has three Baldwins in it. I only spotted the one. You know? One more, and they could rival South Park the movie. <laughs> Eric Barron. Uh, All uh, the Baldwins are dead? <laughs> no, no, I only I, only saw which one was it? Stephen, who was, his, who was playing his mate? 
He gets listed oh, down no, in the no, credits, no. but I didn't notice the... the uh, William is there in the kind of Mexican um, hotel scene right. with um, Willem Dafoe and Tom Sizemore and a few others. The other Baldwin, he's in there as well. Yeah, someone. <laughs> yeah, there's Baldwins all over the place. You know, chuck them in there. Backdraft is around the corner. Actually, speaking before we go, speaking of cameo, did you see the Oliver Stone cameo as well? Oh yes, as the the reporter earlier on in the film. Yes, yeah. Ron Kovic is actually in there as well. Is he the now? Real Ron Kovic is in the parade scene at the beginning. Oh right, when Tom, the little Tom Cruise boy is admiring like all of the soldiers who come back, all the wounded vets. Uh, Ron Kovic is one of those people there. You have yeah. to go back and watch it. Oh. Um, Maybe not. Okay. I've, I've got to kind of go back now to when I first saw this movie. Uh, and it was on... <laughs> funnily enough, it was on... Do you remember back in the day you had Sky Movies and the Movie Channel? Yeah. Yeah. This was one of the first movies of the Movie Channel when the Movie Channel was incorporated into Sky. Uh, how nerdish is that? But that was the first time I did see this movie. And then I ended up getting an excellent or copy of it for £6. And the reason why it was £6 is because the front of the tape had been chewed up so that they cut off the beginning one minute of the movie and all the trailers. Well, to be honest, that's not so much of a bad thing because one thing Oliver Stone does tend to do is just massively blown out and really overindulgent credit sequences. And that showed up a lot in this movie. Just there looking at it, go, oh my. I looked away at one point and was just waiting for things to kind of like start up. And I just looked back up and it's like, oh my God, are the credits still going? Yeah, well, maybe it's to just play that John Williams music that has been used in every single theatrical trailer yeah. every year since we all know what it is. And it's a brilliant score, so why not? It's just been so overused now that you know every beat of it. Mm. I, mean, I I think Tom Cruise really landed with this movie. I know a lot of people point to Rain Man, but he was still in the kind of... He, he was playing the young character back then, you know. And this was the first movie past Cocktail, I believe. Oh. So he did this kind of in between Cocktail and Days of Thunder. So he, he, was, he already had his eyes on transferring out of the teen kind yeah. of popcorn movies and into becoming a serious actor. And, and it worked for this. The hair and the moustache didn't work. Oh, God. Because he started looking like Al Leong. (laughs) There was this definite moment later on, and I think it was when he was in Mexico, I just thought, oh, my God, there is no way that you could possibly grow a moustache that that well. He he just looks like the kind of person who does not naturally have facial hair. Like, I naturally have facial hair. Yeah. I'm one of those kind of hefty people that can, you know, I can grow a beard. Yeah, it's not often... You see Tom Cruise with a beard and moustache in movies after this. Mm-mm. You know, it's. I think you can probably count on one hand the amount of movies where he does. Uh, one thing I did notice from watching it again this week, um, uh, the movie is brilliantly edited. I'm a big fan of the whole mm-hmm. editing process, and it really does deliver on this, even though it obviously takes over the span of so many years. Um, and the editors were David Brenner and... Joe Hutching. As in Gillian Hutching. Well, I don't think there's a relation there, but is there possibly... <laughs> is it a very common editor name? I don't know. I don't know. Is it? Is it? Uh... I had to look it up, but apparently I don't see no correlation, but I'm sure Gillian can 
clear me on on that one. Uh, one thing that I will notice before we actually get on to kind of wrapping this up, and one thing which did stick out for me, is when he's in the hospital, um, he keeps calling for a nurse called Washington and was there saying, oh, I've been pressing this thing for ages and you've not come. So basically, someone's been asking for help for a long time and Washington hasn't done a damn thing. Political satire at its finest. Ha-boom! <laughs> very true, very true. I didn't pick up on that, but very well done. See, you I do watch these movies. I do watch these things. I don't just go on Wikipedia and try and get the notes. No. Okay, so it is... Uh... From born on the 4th of July to another kind of anniversaries. We watch them again all of the time. Oh, we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Yes, I'm speeding through my segues. Mm. because i got a flight to catch in the morning yes everybody by the time you hear this i will be in new york we will be prepping for what will hopefully be our successful first streaming live episode where you will see our beautiful faces or in steve's case hopefully he's recovered from covid at the time yeah so i don't look like just a great big bag of shit well no i already look like a great big bag of shit but less of a bag of shit perhaps a small pack i look like a packet of shit instead or an, or an oven-ready meal for one. But um, also, just to let you know, uh, way, 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 way back when we first started Partywood, our first guest was Becca Marks. And seeing as though mm-hmm. that we are doing our first live stream, guess who is joining us for that episode? Paul Hogan. Fucking hell, that was a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Becca Dowell Dundee herself. Becca Marks will be joining us live all the way from Connecticut, which is where I'm going to be. Uh, so we'll just, uh, we have no idea what the concept of the show is going to be. We're just going to freestyle it and have some fun. So feel free to join us. Yeah, we're just going to wing it. Yeah. Uh, I think we're doing good on the Monday. Uh, pass. I don't know. Well, check Facebook. We'll, we'll decide. I've got to get there first. It'll be, it'll be on at some point. Yeah, but I'll, I'll report in on... Oh, hang on a minute. Speaking of reports, uh, 20 years ago this week, Steve, Minority Report was released. Oh, we're having a Tom Cruise marathon today, aren't we? And a John Williams one. <laughs> oh, yes. Did he do the music for this one as well? He did do the right. music no, for okay. this movie as oh, well. Oh, Spielberg, of course he would have done. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, Minority Report. Have you seen it? Uh, I think I saw like the back like hour of it um i was nah. i've got to be honest I, i've said this to many people i'm not a fan of tom cruise so when a new tom cruise movie comes out i'm not champing at the bit to go see it so yeah i kind of put off watching this for a while and then i saw like i say the back the back half of it and it, thought it was just uh, it's, it's okay you know he's being chased he has to prove his innocence yeah it's like it's, it's the fugitive, but we, yeah, uh, I was about to say, we're just talking stuff. about the fugitive, you know. <laughs> it's this movie, just basically the fugitive with Spielberg directing, and uh, it, it kind of really is similar in plot. It's doesn't have any bizarre. Tommy Lee Jones though, so it's already nowhere near as good. No, true. Um, this movie, uh, this is the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about the Mount Rushmore, which is like your four movies of a director. 
Now, Minority Report, I will not place on Spielberg's Mount Rushmore. No. Okay. I am going to be very controversial, and I know a lot of people will disagree because everyone's got their own Spielberg memories because his work is so damn good. And I know I'm going to anger you by excluding one, but Spielberg's Mount Rushmore for me goes Schindler's List, E.T., mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Okay. Okay. Um... Which one did I irk you with by leaving it off? Jaws. I knew it was going to be Jaws. Yeah, I would rather swap out uh, Shaving Ryan's Privates and then put Jaws in there. Oh. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just looking that out of the window of how I saw them when I first saw them. You could do, because, you know, your personal influences are based around not only the movies that you see, but also how you're affected by the people around you and the time period at which it's all set. But for yeah. me, all of Steven Spielberg's better stuff was back in the, the 80s. Yeah, that's fair. I've got two 80s ones in there, so, you know. No Jurassic Park on there, either. That'll piss me people off. But, um, Minority Report, yes. Back when Spielberg kind of had that fascination with that bleach bypass look in his movies, that, uh, is it Jamush Kaminsky or, I don't know, I've said his name wrong. I do apologise if he listens, but I'm sure he's got better things to do. Um, (laughs) I, I always remember him as he done, kind of did all of these movies, I think, since Schindler's List. I think that was the first one he did with them. And all of Spielberg's movies had that cinematography look. And then that cinematographer went and directed a movie called Lost Souls, which was a horror Ooh. starring Winona Ryder and Ben Chaplin. And I think the real horror was that Ben Chaplin was in a Hollywood movie. Uh, it kind of had this bleached film look that... I'm not really a big fan of. I think it got used way mm. too much. It was just the style at the time. It was. And I think the first time I ever saw that properly might have been in Three Kings. And it works for Three Kings. I really did uh, enjoy that movie, yeah. which you probably haven't seen. No, I know what you mean, though. You're in the desert. It's it's bright. It's oppressive. Everything is going to get kind of bleached out because your eyes would be squinted. But if it's in the middle of a city at night, then why does it need to have that kind of look going on? True. I mean, it's not going to take away from the fact that I think Minority Report is a very good movie. Uh, I don't think it's a classic. I think it's a very good movie. And it's amazing when watching the film again this week, how distracted I was by how many Nokias appear in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, because the future was belonging to Nokia right up until about 2006. Oh, yeah. No, 2007, I think it was when the iPhone came out. Oh, yeah, you could have a drinking game for this movie for how many Nokias and Lexus appear in this movie. (laughs) There are a lot of them. Well, it's funny because uh, this was written by uh, Philip K. Dick, who... Obviously, is one of the most celebrated science fiction Prolific, writers yeah. of all time. It was kind of funny, really, reading up that Minority Report was originally supposed to be developed as a Total Recall sequel, which is quite funny when you realise that Colin Farrell is in this movie. Yeah, who was in the Total Recall? Would you call it a reboot? No, reimagining. It was, it was a re- remake. A half-hearted arsed attempt. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, all right. Total Recall, the remake we're coming for, I thought was okay. Well, no, I'm I'm questioning it because the, I think the Total Recall 
with Colin Farrell was closer to the story than the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger was. Yeah. From what I gather. Okay. I've not read the, the actual story, so I can't tell you. Okay. Can you remember, was it uh, We Can Dream It For You Wholesale? That was yeah. the original novel, Which wasn't is a it? stupid title, but yeah. No, we what, can more remember stupid it than for you Do wholesale. Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah, he, he wasn't really so strong in his titles, was he? Well, whatever he was on was strong. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but th- this movie has a lot going for it because looking at it in the kind of time capsule vacuum, this movie really did predict biometrics really early on. Mm. I mean, this stuff now is commonplace, you know, with the retina scanning, you know, the, the fingerprint scanning and, and all stuff like that. But back then you were like, oh, no, that's that's a nifty little science fiction thing. And now you're like, oh, shit, that's not actually far-fetched anymore. <laughs> No, no, and there there was a story recently. There was uh, an ad. I can't remember what platform it was on. It was a game or a TV show or something. But they were basically saying, no, if there's an ad coming through, most people will kind of just look away on the phone and do whatever. But this thing would actually track your eyes to make sure you were watching the ad. Otherwise, the ad wouldn't play. And there was a big deal about it recently. And I can't remember what platform it was on. You see, that's just scary to me. Yeah, it is. You know, and. It's it's scary. It's kind of a scary world that we live in. I mean, you know, this whole thing with pre-crime in this movie, where they're able to kind of predict crimes before they happen. Suddenly, in this world now, that doesn't feel too far-fetched. No, you know, it, it's it's scary how in ten years' time, everything that we're kind of seeing now as a, a major advancement, I, I think is going to be so intrusive. Well, we're already sliding more and more into a fascist world government, but then again, that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, I think it's the opinion of quite a few. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the movie, the movie Minority Report, it, it's still a great movie. It's a fantastic piece of work. Brilliant little uh, Peter Stormare cameo in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the movie that I really discovered, Samantha Morton, mm-hmm. and she is incredible. Yeah. Yes, she is. Right. Samantha Morton is incredible in anything you put her in. She should be sitting on top of, you know, the English Lovies Mountain now. But she she basically chooses these really challenging, great roles, and uh, that's what I love about Samantha Morton. I think she is so undervalued um, by Hollywood. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the John Williams score again. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to show up again. Um, Tom, yeah, okay. Tom, Tom does his bit, and he's a bit more edgy in this one, which is kind of nice. And the great thing about it is, I changed my sound system uh, in my screening room, as I call it, which is what I call my bedroom when I'm not sleeping in it. And the sound is beautiful on this movie. Oh, it is incredible. My neighbours don't think so, but I do. <laughs> So yes, it's great. If you if you've got DTS, this thing would just shake your house to pieces. I think. Uh, Minority Report is twenty years old this week. You should check it out. Okay, so what do we have next? Okay, a bit of change of pace here. We're going to go back to two thousand nine, and we're going to have a bit of comedy, Steve, because in two thousand nine this week, Bruno was released. I thought you said we were having comedy. Oh, come on. Oh, now oh. I saw it at the cinema. I saw it at the cinema. I sat there for however long it was, about an hour and a half or whatever, um, and was just 
thoroughly just nonplussed by the whole thing. It was basically Borat, but with a gay character. And the only part that I actually laughed was when the the penis kind of span around a few times. <laughs> oh, the helicopter. Uh, the helicopter, and then the end of it kind of opened up and said, Bruno! That was so <laughs> unexpected. I they... admit, that, that gets me. Yeah. Um, only part of it that I laughed at. Only part of it. You mean you didn't laugh when he went camping with the, the rednecks in the outback? No. Oh, my God. No. That, that's still one of my f- favourite funny scenes to this day, apart from the Harrison Ford cameo. No, because it's, it's just it's just way too easy just to get idiots and make fun of them. <laughs> You're not tricking anybody. You, you, yeah. you, they're, they're already morons, so you're just kind of just showing them up to be morons. Well, I mean, this was his, I guess, his freshest character from Ali G in the US. I. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of his, I guess, his kind of least least popular character. So, you know, they were trying something new. And then obviously after this, he went and did like the dictator or the Brothers Grimsby. So he was doing more narrative type stuff. The dictator was also directed by Larry Charles, who directed this. I, um, I did really think that the Brothers Grimsby though was hilarious. I will give him that. Okay, yeah. See, there you go. And obviously, you know, he was doing this in between all of his stints on Madagascar. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, Larry Charles is really good with comedy. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he, he basically put Seinfeld out there. He also put Curb Your Enthusiasm out there. You know, and um, the one thing about Bruno, I mean, it does have the highest opening gross for a film with an openly gay character. Although, I guess, we can't exactly say Sacha Baron Cohen is gay. No, no we can't say that. But the character is. Because we then don't again... talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We <laughs> oh, don't talk Jesus about Bruno. <laughs> Steve, before the show signs off today, let me tell you that I hate you. But this film did actually knock the birdcage off that honour. And the Birdcage is a great movie. Mm. Uh, this was also the debut producing credit for a person named Jonah Hill. Oh, wow. I didn't so, even realise he had the producer credits at this stage. Yeah, well, he was, he was. I mean, he was still young. I mean, Superbad yeah. only came out like two years before, and he was so young in that movie. So, you know, he was kind of starting early and getting the producing credit, and this was his first one. Um I'll go online. I mean, the Harrison Ford cameo is great in this. And he was in on the joke. I think he was the only person in the entire movie who was in on the joke. Um, And I I think Sasha is brilliant in this role. There's there's things about this, and it is to play on, you know, the uncomfortableness of an openly gay, really out there character around people like um, rednecks. I think when he goes to the swingers party is just so ridiculously out there and she's whipping him and he ends up jumping out of the window. Yeah. Uh, t- it just, it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh because I, I, I do like Sasha Baron Cohen stuff. I, I would honestly say that Ali G in the house, I think is the weakest of his comedy characters in a movie. I mean, it's funny, but I would prefer this over that. Uh, yes, yeah, so would I, but I, I? I just think that this, I, I just think that this is, particularly this one, less so kind of Bora, particularly the recent one when he got 
like uh, Rudy Giuliani. That that was that was properly going after a target and oh, manipulating yeah. what it was that that target had. This time around, it's just kind of like you have an openly gay character in the middle of a bunch of rednecks, like you say. That doesn't yeah. really take an awful lot to bring out people's prejudices. It really yeah. doesn't. It's it's shooting fish in a barrel, really. Okay, you're openly gay. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to the one place in America where gay people aren't readily accepted and just film reactions. It's, come on, you yeah. know you know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, exactly. You know, yeah. and, and it's all in the name of comedy. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius in that respect. No, and he is fearless. And I think this is the movie where, I guess, kind of apart from Borat 2, that he's probably got in the most trouble. I mean, mm. he, for one, he got ejected for gate-crushing, uh, was it a Victoria's Secret fashion show or something along that line? Um, the other one was with, uh, is his name Rand Paul? Politician? Yeah. <laughs> Went interviewing him and apparently... Uh, the bodyguards had to rush him out of the state as soon as that was finished because there was threats on their life. But oh, yeah, he's you know. got into some hell of a tr- some big trouble. Like there was one, I think it was in the first Borat movie where he, I think it was the scene where he was singing the the national anthem <laughs> or something. No, that was it. No, yeah. no, no. He was he was dressed up as like a redneck. At a and he was on a stage and he was singing something and then they whisked him back to the van and then he's inside the van and you can just hear the van just being attacked and pelted oh, and yeah. then there's proper like pandemonium going on in the van going, no we need to move we need to get out of here things are starting to turn ugly blah 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 so you know I, I do have full respect for him for going into these situations and uh, showing what prejudices people have um uh, I, ju- I just think that this was just like the weakest. D- d- this was fish in a barrel territory. Well, moment. it definitely wasn't scary. Scared of letting it all hang out in this movie. That's no, what I will say. No, it was not. <laughs> but yes, uh, Bruno, uh, I am going to say for a movie that sets out to be offensive, it is kind of inoffensive to laugh at it. Mm. And I think kind of looking at it in a vacuum now of attitudes in 2009 compared to what they are right now. Um. You know, this might be the last daring comedy that was ever kind of pushed out. Yeah. And uh, I, I recommend it. I recommend it as, as it's not an amazing movie. It's not a movie that's going to, you know, sit on the pedestal of great comedy movies. But, you know, it easily passes the time and you'll have fun with it. And uh, before we give up this this particular ghost and move on, there is one little wrinkle that we haven't brought up, is that when it was released here in the UK, there were two separate versions of the film doing the rounds at the same time. There was a 15-rated version, and then there was an 18-rated version. (laughs) And the 15-rated, obviously, that had some of the more extreme stuff cut out, and I went to see the 18-rated with a few friends from work. No idea what the difference is, because that's pretty much the only time that I saw it, so... I think it was the uh, unrated version that I saw. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, that's a nice, interesting tip, but you can search out either version of it. If you want to watch it with Grandma, <laughs> go for the 18 version. <laughs> Just gets to the twirling penis. Oh, yes, that reminds me of your granddad. Yes. <laughs> Same colour, too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, with that in mind, we have a new segment for this week. 
And, uh, well, I guess we've kind of got to go back to last week. <laughs> yes. It'll That's... all make sense. Trust us. Trust us on this. Yes. Now, uh, as for me, I'm kind of out of here. I've got to go and get a flight, but we're going to bring in uh, our guest that we recorded the other day to talk about some of the movies that we've released in the month of June. Okay, so here at Partywood, we're always looking to bring something new to the show. Uh, sometimes they work, like Partywood After Dark, which we haven't done in probably about nearly a year. <laughs> but it was it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, it was fun I think while it we lasted. Yes, just because you want to hear us safe. So you can always source them out. There are a couple out there online. Uh, but this week, I thought, you know what, Let, let's just do something new. We do, We talk about loads of older movies. We talk about the anniversaries. We do the watch-alongs of <laughs> admittedly terrible movies. But we don't really focus on a lot of the movies that are kind of coming out now. While I was on Facebook, I've noticed uh, over the course of the last couple of months... Uh, there's this amazing New York comedian by the name of Jonas Bones, and he, he does these kind of online Facebook reviews of these movies that were actually really funny. So I thought, you know what? I, I listened to his podcast, which is another goddamn horror podcast, and you've got to seek it out. It is fantastic, especially if you're a horror fan or a movie fan, unlike Steve. So Hey, no, we, I love movies. <laughs> I just, just don't, don't watch get, them. I just don't watch them. You're quite right. <laughs> Yes, the the game conversions of them are brilliant. <laughs> it doesn't work the other way around, but they are brilliant. So uh, I thought a fantastic segment that we could do uh, once a month is to invite Jonas actually onto the show to talk about the movies that are being released theatrically and streaming because he actually gets out and sees movies unlike us. All the way from Brooklyn, joining us this week is Jonas Barnes. Jonas, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going, you guys? Yeah, we're doing well. Thank you very much for coming on and uh, joining us all the way from what I'm guessing will be heat oppressed New York round about this time of year. Oh, it's disgusting right now. It feels like we feel like Louisiana for no reason. There's no, we don't have swamps and we all of a sudden feel like we're in New Orleans. It's disgusting. <laughs> I came over a few years ago and I just remember traveling around thinking, no, I'm staying on the subway. There's aircon down here. Screw it. I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> That's how you know. That is how you know it's bad because when somebody comes to New York and they're like, "It is so gross outside that I'm gonna stay on the subway." <laughs> nobody, there's nobody in New York that has any situation where they're like, "To hell with this! I'm gonna stay on the subway." Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in talking about movies, because you'd never actually believe from the conversation if you've only just tuned into this segment, <laughs> movies is what we talk about. And as me and Steve are kind of movie philistines and don't really get a chance to watch anything new until it's been out for probably a couple of years, uh-huh. we have decided to pull you in uh, to tell us about the uh, the fantastic and terrible movies that are now available for everyone to go and watch. So I understand that you've been going to see quite a few films over the last month. Yeah, I do. Um, I actually have a program uh, that I'm a part of in the U.S. called AMC A-List, which is actually pretty cool because it's a thing where you can get um, a subscription to go to AMC theaters and you can see, I think it's like three movies a week or something like that if you want to. So you get to see a lot of movies. And I also do a horror podcast, so I pretty much, you know, watch um, horror movies as much as I can. But I like to vary it up and, you know, see as many different kinds of movies as I can. And some of them are not meant to be horror movies, but they are horrible. 
so that happens too. Um, it's funnily enough that you, you know. should mention one of those subscription packages because Andy used to have one of them, and then he saw a real horror film, and then cancelled it, didn't you, Andrew? That was Rambo: Last Blood, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. We, we, we've that had this conversation. Not even worth so going to see for free. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rambo: Last Blood, An awful movie. <laughs> There's no one who that likes one, that movie. Dude, I have PTSD from that movie. Like, that movie was <laughs> so bad. I went and saw that with my friend in Los Angeles. We went to the Universal City Walk and saw it. I've never heard an entire theater laugh at a movie that was not intended to be a comedy more than they did at that movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I have once. Which one was it? Uh, this is going way back. I went to see Mission to Mars, Brian De Palma's movie. Ooh, okay. um, yeah, it's it's not a great movie by, by no. any stretch of the imagination. And there's a scene where an astronaut is spinning and then suddenly his like, arms and legs fly off. And uh, everyone just burst out laughing and it was supposed to be a really horrific scene. <laughs> no, that actually makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I need to kind of defend Rambo Last Blood just for, a, for one thing only. That movie was so aggressively bad throughout the whole film. And then you get that last 10 minutes or so where it's the underground home alone adult version, basically, (laughs) where the entire theater was like, well, this is what we came here for. Why did you wait, you know, 80 minutes to get us to here? This is what we wanted the whole time. So people were cheering and hooting and hollering when everything was happening and like these dudes were getting taken out in all these crazy creative ways. But then at the very end, when he when he shoots the final dude with the arrow and then reaches in and like, I guess, spoiler alert, guys, if you've not seen this toilet movie, but <laughs> when he reaches in and he grabs the dude's heart and rips it out and shows it to him before he dies everybody just starts laughing hysterically because it was like, it's so sanitized, isn't it? It was ridiculous. It was, it was ridiculous to a point where it was like, is this an evil dead movie? Like what is happening? This is so satirically bad at what he did. And the fact that he said that he was going to do exactly that, like he Babe Ruth, this (laughs) pull, like, you know what I mean? Like in the Indiana Jones movie, when he pulls the, hard out like it looked better in that movie than it did in the rambo one and everybody was just like oh man like he really built us up for that that's what you gave us and then he just walks off into the sunset all old and shit it's just like come on like (laughs) (laughs) it was like they filmed it for um for a much younger audience and then when they all cut it together they just went this has got no teeth. Uh, screw it. Just put in some blood squibs from a little crappy After Effects package, and yes. then and then just just it just cut away. Don't actually see any blood going on, and it was just so safe and sanitized. But it was depressing as all hell. I think the funniest thing was you'd never actually seen a Rambo movie before. No, I hadn't. <laughs> so that was your introduction oh. to Rambo. Oh no! <laughs> Doesn't make me want to go see one again. I'll tell you what, I need to mention this, though. The one that's prior to that, the one that's just called Rambo. Oh, um, vicious. That movie is insane. That movie is so good in for many different reasons. But it's such a, like, such a well-done movie for 
um, dealing with what Rambo, you know, is usually about and like the areas of the world that he fights in and everything. And the amount of brutal realism in that movie was what really made people want to see Last Blood. And then Last Blood comes along and it's this just farcical piece to shit movie. And it's just like, everybody's like, what, <laughs> what happened here? And also, Sylvester Stallone is the one that wrote and directed both of those movies. So it's like, did you have a stroke between those movies? What did you do? Like, what happened? <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know how he came to the conclusion where he sat down and watched that after editing and was like, you know what, this is the movie. This is the one. Yeah. This is what I'm going to put out there. This, this is how I want to wrap up this decades-long love affair with this character that audiences have grown to really care oh, no. about. No, no, he'll be back. He will. There's got to be another Rambo on the horizon. He won't let that rest. It's like Rocky, you know, Rocky's never going to end. They're trying to do Creed now with just Michael B. Jordan, and everyone's just like, no, it's got to have Stallone in it somewhere. Yeah, he's eventually just going to wheel into the room like Professor X, just but for Rocky. (laughs) Straight up motorized wheelchair, just like walking in there and he's going to he's going to squirt out some line from one of the old movies. And they're going to be like, yeah, Rocky's back. Like, it's what they do. Remember, it's not how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit, of course, Uncle Rocky. Yeah, no, just, just <laughs> we get it. Here's yeah. your applesauce, Uncle Rocky. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was chasing chickens in the other room. Okay, we know you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> I once got a robot for my best friend. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know why he's Jewish all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's a senile dementia. A different nationality. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, what have you been watching uh, recently? What's caught your eye? Yeah, what goes first? Okay, there's, there's a lot of movies. There was a lot of movies this month. But first off here, I want to say this. No, none of, none of these are children's films. Uh, no. That no. is definitely... <laughs> No. There's a couple so, of them that are that are definitely not children's films. Like, did you actually get around to seeing the sadness? Uh no. It's funny enough that's one that I was actually planning on watching today, but my fiance saw the red band trailer of it and said, "You're watching that shit on your own." Oh yeah, yeah, that one's. <laughs> so here's the funny thing. A little side note, you guys. Sometimes somebody will reach out to me and they will be like, "I need a movie that's going to ruin me." And when they ask that question, I always have to follow it up and say, do you want a night ruiner, a week ruiner, or a much longer time ruiner? Because (laughs) it depends on the movie. It depends on what they want. Because, like, sometimes maybe they're in, like, a depression funk and they were like, I need something that is just going to destroy me so that it's something that pops me out of this because I've now watched something that is that is deeper and darker and more depressing than the feeling I have right now. So I know that it can be worse. And I'm like, okay, fair. And then sometimes they just want one that's just like a super brutal horror movie or like they want one that's just like very realistic. When they do that, I have different levels. So like if somebody wants a weak ruiner, I'll go for Martyrs, which is French extreme horror, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that one, that one will hurt your feelings. That one will, that one will make you think about it for at least a week. It's also one of those movies that when you hear it, you have a similar reaction to what you just yeah. had where people are like, Ooh, all right. Uh, but if they want like a much longer time ruiner, I'll be like, go watch Dear Zachary. Not a horror film, but horrifying. You know what I mean? I'm like, that one, 
that one will get you for a long time. And every time I've done that to somebody where I'm like, yeah, go ahead and go watch Dear Zachary. I'll get a message from them about two hours later that like, you're the worst person that I've ever talked to. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you did this to yourself. I gave you a chance to back out, but you didn't, you know, the sadness is one that would fall into the day ruiner because it is insanely brutal. I actually spoke to the director of the movie over on another goddamn horror podcast. And he was, he was basically tasked with making this movie. And they said, Hey, we want you to do like a zombie movie or your idea of a zombie movie. And he was like, I don't want to make a zombie movie. So I'm going to make something like a zombie movie. And what he ended up making was the sadness. And the sadness is based in Taiwan. Uh, it is about an outbreak um, of a virus similar to like, you know, Resident Evil or something like that, like a T virus. Yeah. Similar to that. But what it turns people into is it turns them into these not zombies, but like feral, violent, just depraved um, zombie ish type of, you know, people. So what ends up happening is the story is b very, pretty simple. In the beginning, it's just a, a guy and a girl. They wake up, you know, spooning each other. Oh, it's nice and happy. And they have to both go to work. And then one of the dude, the dude um, shows up to pick up like his breakfast. And then all hell breaks loose. Somebody gets fryer oil like dumped on their head and their skin melts off. And he's like, what <laughs> is going on? Like, <laughs> what just happened? And then the rest of the movie is just balls to the wall. It's these two people that woke up in the morning trying to get back to each other. But while they're trying to do that, they're basically having to fight through Taiwan. It's after it's been overtaken by these, you know, feral people, kind of like 28 days later or 28 weeks later. Yeah. Similar in tone to that. But here's the thing. The violence is ramped up to a thousand. So... These people, when they get this mutation, they become very mean-spirited along with the feral, like, aggressiveness. And what I mean by that is that they take, like, they really take in what they're doing to other people. So they're, they're, they're getting, like, they're, they're getting their rocks off to doing these things. So it comes across a lot more depraved than just, you know, like Dawn of the Dead or something like that, where it's just like a zombie eats a person. Where it's just like, oh yeah, that's what I'm expecting from a zombie movie. This one, no, they'll like break bones before they do it. They'll like they'll they'll put like actual pain to these people before they do it. And so the tone of the movie is very dark. It's very violent. It's very bloody. So like from a mm. filmmaker standpoint, if you watched it, you'd be impressed at the effects of what they did because it's like 99.9 percent .9 practical effects. Yes. When we were talking to the director, he was like, he goes, I don't like CGI. He's like, there's a couple of times that were like sneakily put in there. But for the most part, this is an all practical effects movie. But yeah, the amount of blood in the movie is insane. Like I've seen some very, very bloody movies. This one takes the cake. This one, is, it's through the roof. Um, but the pacing of the movie is good. The time, like the way that all the scenes are put together is done very well. The storyline of it actually is pretty cool because by the end of it, you figure out why these people are the way that they are. And it actually makes like scientific sense, which was actually a cool little twist to it. It wasn't just like a thing where it's like, oh, a monkey bit somebody and now everybody's diseased. 
like people think COVID is, you know, like it's yeah. nothing like that. <laughs> it's absolutely nothing like that, but it's definitely one that is so violent that it will definitely screw up your night. Like by the end of the night, you're like, okay, I need to spoon something while I sleep or I'm going to have weird nightmares. <laughs> it's definitely one of those. So you'd say like a, kind of a, a more PG version of this movie would be in the realm of like in the mouth of madness or the crazies. Yeah. Similar yeah. to the crazies. Yeah. Like the crazies would be a toned down version of this and the crazies is pretty violent. Yeah. But this is, this is the crazies turned up to a thousand. Um, but I will tell you this, the acting in it is incredible. The effects are incredible. The pacing is great. It's a breakneck pace after the first 15 minutes. First 15 minutes happens, and then the rest of the movie is just just fast. Like, fast breakneck happening like crazy. So it's good in that sense. Um, the only downside of the movie at all is the ending is kind of abrupt. Um, and I think it was just because they just kind of didn't know how to end it. It was one of those movies where it was like, all right, we have all this carnage. We've done all these things. We've explained the story. And now, eh, I don't know what to do. So it's kind of like one of those endings where it's just like, okay, like, fair enough. But, like, you don't get a whole shitload of closure out of it. You're just like, all right, whatever. But the ride to get there is very entertaining. It's just that it's definitely one of those ones you have to sleep on it afterwards because you've seen a lot of violence. Just a lot. So you do have to you do have to kind of sleep on it. But it's not hyper-realistic violence like Martyrs, which is like Martyr. That's why Martyrs will ruin your week as opposed yeah. to just ruining your night, you know? So it's a, it's a fantastic movie, though. It's on Shudder. Absolutely see it if you're into zombie movies, especially if you're into Asian horror. It's a fantastic, like, version of Asian horror. So it's fully, fully recommend on that one. Yeah, it's, I, when you were discussing it, I mean, the movie that instantly kind of jumped in my mind was a 2007 movie called The Signal. Mm. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, that's crazy. It was, a, it, was a, it was an independent movie, and it was really great. And it was basically people were getting, I believe, these, well, basically signals from their TV sets or whatever that was basically turning them into homicidal maniacs. Yeah. Um, but if, to kind of prepare yourselves, everyone, I'd recommend watching the Red Band trailer on YouTube. And if you can get through that, then you could probably stand the movie. I will say this about most trailers. Most trailers, they either give away too much or they don't give you a good idea of what you're actually in for in the movie. The Red Band trailer for this movie, if it's totally perfect as far as what the rest of the movie is. So if you like that Red Band trailer, you're going to love the movie. Like, straight up. There you go. And by the way, Steve, that is certified fresh. For oh, is it? In the box. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get the feeling I would be watching that one by myself. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> my, my other half, she's training to be a nurse. So she's going to be seeing all kinds of, you know, stuff and blood and and bits and whatnot but no i think this one might just be uh i think by the sounds of it actually because i'm not a big gore freak really i don't mind horror but i kind of prefer like the the kind of like the creeping dread that kind of seeps under your skin as opposed to just the out and out splatter fests really. yeah psychological so, uh, yeah yeah i prefer something which just makes which just makes you lie in bed at night just looking in the shadows of the room that, I prefer that kind of horror to just like, oh, people getting ripped apart and skin pulled off and 
you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm ho- I'm actually hoping that that one doesn't come out because I think that one might be a little bit bit too much even for me. <laughs> I mean, there's what? there's a lot of skin getting pulled off in this one. So yeah. if you're not into that, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, the one. director's great though. By the way, this is also his first movie, which is yeah, insane. His debut. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, and that's available on Shutter. Uh, yeah, that one's on Shutter right now for free. I mean, you know, for free, as long as you subscribe to Shutter. Okay, what have we got next? So the ones, okay, so the ones that you said, uh, let's talk about Watcher really quick. Yes. Because that one, I want to talk about that one because, you know, obviously you've seen me on Facebook. So on Facebook, a lot of the stuff I do is, you know, eviscerating a movie. Um, <laughs> that's what we pay Watcher, for. right. <laughs> Watcher, so that that's why we're getting the ones that I really liked out of the way first. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and ease it in this is the just the tip uh part of the uh, movie breakdowns um don't worry we'll be balls deep later right now just the tip so we'll talk about watcher so i work with ifc midnight a lot um and i see a lot of their movies ahead of time and i had gotten a screener notification for watcher and i had gotten it at the same time that i got screeners for a movie called hatching which yes. is wild body horror um very good movie though and also the innocence so i had gotten it at the same time as i got those i ended up seeing hatching in the innocence and i forgot to see watcher before the screener expired so i waited until it came out in theaters so i went and saw it first night um didn't quite know what to expect but i was into it based off of just the idea of it and the cast which the cast is fantastic but I'll tell you this, as far as as far as when I actually sat down and watched it, and like I was at first, I thought it was slow, and I I was like kind of worried that it was going to be one of those movies that was a little too slow, didn't have a good enough payoff, that type of thing. But I also, the more I watched it, I was like, okay, this is giving me like a Hitchcock vibe. So yes. I was okay with the slowness, you know. I was like, all right, if it's if this is going Hitchcock route, then I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah, I'm just having and, a look at the uh, the description of it in on IMDb. It does sound it does sound a lot like something like Rear Window, doesn't it? It definitely has some flavors of that. Hmm. Um, I would say. Would you agree? Uh, I would agree. I mean, I went into it. I remember you recommended it to me. Uh, I didn't watch any trailers of it. I basically put my projector screen on at night, got in bed, had it on the big screen, watching it, and I was so engrossed. I I genuinely was, and I know you kind of mentioned it had a bit of a Hitchcockian vibe, and I thought, okay, that's going to be cool. But I was just totally into it within about fifteen minutes. Yeah, it doesn't um, take long. It doesn't take long to hook you. It hooks no. you in pretty quick. Um, so the thing about this movie is that when I say the Hitchcockian vibe. Like it's also it also does some cool Hitchcockian things with the story. So like there's some red herrings here and there. Like it lets you know just enough about the characters to get you invested, but also doesn't let you know too much about the characters, so you don't have to it doesn't overexpose the characters, I guess is the best way to put that. Yeah. And like the placing of events in this movie is perfect. So, like, it gives you just a little bit to look at here, just a little bit to look at there, kind of keeps your attention on two different things at one time, so that by the time that third act happens, um, it floors you in the best way. It's such a good third act to wrap up that whole story 
I would say it's probably my top one. I would say it's easily my top three of this year so far, as far uh, as like horrors, yeah. horrors and thrillers go. Easily my mm-hmm. top three. But this is also like in the top five like psychological thrillers that I've seen in shit a decade. You know, it's such a well done movie. I'm I'm right there with you on that. Um, I went in not knowing what to expect. I kind of had a, a feeling, okay, it's obviously it's a girl who's just been spied on. That's what the kind of poster gives away. And it has an element of that. But what I really loved about it was the fact that you were second-guessing it as you were going along. Yeah. Now, there was one scene, that there was one point in this movie, and I don't want to give spoilers away because people should go and watch this, but there was one scene where I'm thinking, is this all in her head? No, has she actually just really imagining all this is happening? You start to feel on the wall with it. And Micah Monroe is fucking amazing in this movie. She really is. I'd never really rated her before, but seeing her in this movie, she is incredible. That camera really loves her as well uh, for this movie. I was going to say, she's an incredible actress in general, but she picks really good horror and thriller properties. Yeah. Like she really picks good projects when it comes to horrors and thrillers. Yeah, and and Bern Gorman is out of this world how he is used in this movie. Mm. Um, yeah. the, the my favorite scene, I think I mentioned this to you the other day after I'd watched it, I messaged you straight away just to tell you, oh my God, I've just had an experience watching this movie of, of how good a movie really is. And Bern Gorman, you know, when he does speak in this movie, it, it's like the the more terrifying silent Bob treatment. <laughs> so oh God. Yeah. <laughs> when he's got, you know, when he does have this one scene where he delivers this dialogue, it is the most tense and brilliantly performed scene on this Metro rail train that I don't think I breathed while I was watching it. It yeah. was, I was just pinned. It was so expertly, uh, Directed by is Chloe Acuna? Yeah. Chloe Acuna. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, I couldn't praise this movie enough. It's probably the most rewarding film I've watched this year. Yeah, it really is. And it's also, that's one of the things that's interesting about it when you talk about that train scene, that whole Metro scene, is so well filmed. Oh, like, yeah. It just everything about it, the, like the shot choices, the lighting, the angles, like, everything about it was good, which is really funny because the in the sadness there's a metro scene that also is partially in that red band trailer yes. that is beautiful in a different way like it's it's one of those scenes where you're in a confined space and the way that the angles are used the way that the lighting is used the way that the actual scenes are filmed is done perfectly for the type of scene that you're in and when i talked to the director of the sadness when i talked to him uh, his name is rob jabaz when I talked to him about that scene, it was kind of funny because he said that he directs in a completely different way than he's used to seeing. So he was like, when I walked into this train and I saw it, I was like, okay, well, I know what scene I want to film here. Like, I know exactly what it is that I want to actually film right here. And I don't want my actors to be stuck in makeup for, you know, however long and have to go out and redo shots and like all this other stuff. He was like, so that's not what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to film two different things separately. And then we're going to combine them in post pro in post uh, production. 
So basically what he did is he took all the scenes that were all like the carnage and stuff like that. And he filmed all that by itself. And then he filmed the other stuff that was like the non, you know, aggressive action scenes and stuff like that. Whereas people that were not like fully made up and there wasn't a whole lot of blood flying everywhere and stuff. He filmed those separately. And then he filmed just a couple of scenes that were a combination of the both. But for the most part, they were two completely different things that were filmed in the same space. And they were all combined post-production. Wow. He was like, I wanted to do that because if I don't do that and we screw up on a take or something like that, then I have to have people come back in and redo makeup and redo all these things. And like, he's like, it just would have been too aggressive for the cast. He was like, so instead, I'm just looking at this whole scoping scene and being like, okay, I've got these two different pieces and they don't have to bleed over too much. And it doesn't have to, he was making fun of the whole one shot thing. He was like, you know how directors, he goes, you know how directors sometimes want to do that whole one shot take one take thing. He was like, whatever. He was like, if you want to jerk yourself off and do that, that's fine. He was like, but <laughs> he was like, but it's unrealistic. It's dumb. He was like, it, when it works, it works. But most of the time it doesn't work. And also most of the time they're lying. He was like, it's just not a thing. <laughs> He was like, so instead of doing that, yeah, he was like, I had to do this. And then you kind of Tetris it together. He was like, so it put a lot more pressure on me as the editor. But also at the same time, it was better for my actors and better for my cast and stuff like that. So when you look at that compared to like the and compared to Watcher, I think the way that that was filmed, it was so tense and it yeah. wasn't a long scene. Like it was it was a relatively short scene. It just felt longer. Yeah, it because really did. It. it felt like it lasted a long time. Out of probably all the films we'll talk about today, um, obviously there's some I haven't seen yet and probably will get round to by the time this airs. But um, The Watcher is just... It's its very simplistic. It is a slow burner. So you do have to like give it time. You have to let the story unfold and really get involved with it. But by the end, you know, that very last shot, I think... We both kind of discussed the very last shot and how perfect it is. Absolutely it, perfect. It's so rewarding. It really is. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the best final scenes that I can think of, you know, in such a long time. So Watcher is for sure one that you need to see. I know it's on video on demand um, now, so you can definitely find it just, you know, streaming and stuff like that. And I mean, you have to rent it, which is you should. Like, rent it, buy it, whatever. But it's incredible. Um, so let's shift over to some of the other ones that you've seen. So Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness. Have you seen the Multiverse of Madness yet, Steve? No, it has just come out on Disney+. Plus. But I've, yes. I've completely fallen out of love with the MCU and uh, superhero movies in general. And I know this is taking a different tack. You've obviously got Sam Raimi in. who's just, like, the master of... The, the the comedy horror genre from way back in, in his days doing Evil Dead, but it's, it's just ah I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just done. It, it pretty much as soon as um the final shot of uh Steve and Peggy dancing at the end of Endgame oh, came Endgame, around, yeah. I was just like, no, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. You like uh, That's where you tapped out. Yeah, I was done. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to spend a full time job. 
watching all of the new Marvel series coming out week in, week out, and then trying to work out how that ties into a new film, which seems to be coming out every other week. And I just, I, I, I can't be doing with it anymore. Okay, to be to be fair, we are 250 movies into the MCU at this point, yes. so <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of content to take in. Yeah, way too much. I, I've got to admit, I've I've started to fall behind on the series as well. I only realized the other day, it's like, oh my god, there's three episodes of this Ms. Marvel to watch, and Moon Knight didn't exactly set my world on fire. I think I'm starting to get the superhero fatigue myself a little bit. I mean, Amanda was watching Moon Knight, and I was digging Oscar Isaac's performance because he seemed to be one of the few. He seemed to, seem to be one of the few Americans that was doing actually a really good British accent and also using British slang. Yes, because there was one scene in a cafe where he's just there going, "Oh, I feel like a bit of a knob." <laughs> you, you don't hear that in U.S.-led programming. True. You will, you only expect something like that in something like Shameless. Like the British Shameless, and uh, yeah. oh yeah, and so he's just like, oh no, this is nice. I I like what he's doing in this, but I've just got no interest in watching the rest of the series. I can't I can't really blame you. The only thing that I did get <laughs> out of uh, the whole new Doctor Strange thing was I did go and see No Way Home, but that was just to see what they were going to do with Tobey Maguire and and uh, oh, Andrew yeah. Garfield and all the rest of it because that was Hollywood's worst kept secret for ages. They yeah they they but... really let that one out. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. really did not. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, really let that secret go. To the point where the denials just became comical. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of crossed over into Multiverse of Madness as well. And I don't think we're really withholding any spoilers here. I think everybody knows by now, especially with it being on Disney+. Plus. You know, everyone who wants to have seen it must have seen it. If you've not seen it by now, mm. then you really didn't want to see it to begin with. For sure. So yeah. I don't think we're going to really rock your world and commit movie sin by discussing the spoilers here. Mm. I mean, they gave one like... of them away in the trailer. They did. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. This is your last chance. If you if you're not interested, then just fast forward. I don't know about ten minutes, whatever. But they had Patrick Stewart's voice in the goddamn trailer, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. And they had. And in the movie, they even have a, a little bit of the music from the X-Men animated series just to let you know, oh, this is Professor X from the animated series, right, not okay. the movies. That was, such a, that was such a hand job of a move, though, where they were just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and throw in this little, this little uh, Easter egg in here, just a little, no- a little music from the anime. Shut up. Like, dude, that was, a, that was such comic book nerd shit. <laughs> where they were just like, oh yeah, this, we're gonna put this one in there. I hated that. I like, I loved it because I got it, you know. But also, I hated the fact that they just thought they were just so cool to put that in the movie. Just oh my god, yeah. it it goes right up there with uh, that scene at the end of Ghostbusters Afterlife, where uh, the original cast just like walk in like it's the Star Wars yeah. holiday special. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is something I want to talk about with uh, Doctor Strange 2. I thought it was a great movie as far as superhero movies go, as far as like Marvel movies go. I had a lot of fun with it. I also like the fact that it was Sam Raimi because he is, like we were talking before, he's kind of like really, really, really good. Like his bread and butter is um, comedy horror. Mm, like that's, yes. you know. That's that's what his main vein is like. Drag me to hell, incredible! Like just 
there's lots of things you could say about Raimi. Now, yeah. with this movie, it had his fingerprints all over it, which I personally dug. I thought it was great. Also, given what type of movie it is, though, it was also a mess. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it on purpose, though, kind of, I think. I think when I say a mess, it's because you are dealing with multiverses, so you are dealing with multiple storylines, you're dealing with multiple characters, you're dealing with multiple versions of multiple characters, you're dealing with all sorts of these different things. But the thing that I liked that Sam Raimi did is he added horror into it that was still PG-13 accessible horror. Mm. But if you pay attention to what's happening off screen that they're not showing you, it's brutal. Like, yeah. there's stuff that's happening in this movie that had the frame moved down one foot, it would have been a fully R-rated, like, straight-up horror movie. Um, but there's, like, one of the coolest things about the movie is the villain, Scarlet Witch, um, Elizabeth Olsen. She does fantastic. Yes. When she did WandaVision, she really broke out, and it was like, wow, you know, this is... No, really fully rounded character. But then Multiverse of Madness comes out and you're like, holy shit. You know, she is fucking great in this movie. She's got a bit of a weird makeup job going on, though, hasn't she? Or is that just me? No, she does a little bit yeah. at times. Because I've seen stills and she just looks weird. I think that's the only way that I can think of to describe it. You compare her there to how she was in Infinity War. She looked, it looks completely different. I don't know. She's has gone through the character's gone through everything that happened in one division. Yeah, but it it also seems to be looking as far as like costume and everything's concerned. It's starting to look a bit forced. Uh, the, all the costumes that they had throughout the MCU they look plausible. Uh, right. They look like they were actually made and manufactured. It, looking at all the stills and everything from this, it looks like they're just trying to go. This is a superhero outfit. It's kind of like what Game of Thrones did. It started out at the beginning, it was all wolf pelts and furs, and by the end of it, it was like, oh, right. yes, this is all Gucci and Armani leather, yes. <laughs> right, right. That I can see that, actually. Now, the thing is with Elizabeth Olsen's part in this is that there's the WandaVision part of it, and there's the full-blown Scarlet Witch part of it. Yeah. So she's playing two characters really mm -hmm. at one time, and she's also playing a villain that's interacting with her WandaVision character also. So you've got two, you've basically got, you know, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing going on. I will say this as Scarlet Witch, she is a formidable villain. Like, yes, if you're into, if you're into superhero movies and you're kind of one of those people that hates it when the villain is not somebody who could plausibly kill the, you know, the superhero, this movie is not that. Like there's times where you for sure think that Scarlet Witch could take them all out like easily you know um and they did a good job of that they did a good job of showing how powerful she actually is which was really cool um oh. but when sam raimi started to add the horror stuff into there it got more fun for me because i'm such a horror junkie but there were some people that didn't like it like i love the fact that undead dr strange was in there that was amazing <laughs> like yes. that was cool as shit like that was and it was a good makeup job like it was, it was for sure like good undead makeup. But then when you look at it, you're like, that's just Evil Dead. Like that's mm. you just you took the same makeup from Evil Dead, you shined it up a little bit for 2022, and that's what you did for Doctor Strange, which is fine. 
like it's totally fine but also it was kind of a cop-out you know like it was kind of one of those ones where it's like "Mm, you could have done something other than what you've already done before like you could have actually made that a little cooler looking overall though honestly as far as like sequels go especially like sequels to original properties that's a damn good sequel it yeah i'll admit i'll i'll say there was a lot of build-up with it and and this is the kind of problem with the marvel movies now the fandom build this image of what the movie should be leading up to its release so the last couple of marvel movies have suffered disappointment in that respect because these fans really say oh it's going to have this in it it's going to have that in it and you know we're going to see this character show up and that character endgame was the same because the the fans were there saying oh daredevil and the punisher and everyone else is going to show up at the end and it's like no they don't (laughs) you know but the fans got so rabid about it and then they get pissed off because they've built themselves up and it was the same with the multiverse of madness to the point where it didn't hold any surprises when I went to see it. No. Because I'd heard so many people saying, oh, this is going to introduce the Fantastic Four, this is going to introduce uh, the Illuminati, blah, blah, blah. And by the time I was watching it, I was like, to be honest, I'm amazed the fact that Scarlet Witch is the villain is the one thing that surprised me. Well, yeah, they gave away so many things. And like the introduction of Fantastic Four, I think is cool. Um, John Krasinski, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't know if he's exactly the one that I want in that part, but, um, John the introduction Hamm, come of, on, <laughs> it should have been No, I, I like him. Well, no, he's already I, got yeah. something that can stretch out quite a long length anyway, so. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about John's ham there. Yes. Um, <laughs> I actually but, uh, did like, uh, what's his name, Yon, Yon Griffith, or whoever, you, whoever played him in the. Oh, Yon Griffith. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've actually got a soft spot for those those movies I've, I've actually got a real soft spot for the uh the roger corman one but that's a different story altogether but um the, Listen, the roger corman one for anybody that has not seeked that movie out <laughs> i think it's on youtube it is yeah um, it is an absolute piece of shit and it's great it's fantastic <laughs> yeah it is um, way better than it has any right to be yeah absolutely and it, if you do watch that on youtube then seek out the documentary doomed uh, yeah, which was all about the making of that movie and the, the fact it never got released. It is a fantastic documentary on that yeah. side note there. But anyway, yes, uh, getting back to Doctor Strange. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you on the soft spot for the other Fantastic Four movies, yeah. though. It's like, like Michael Chiklis as the Thing was hilarious to me, yeah. just because it's like you're Vic Mackey, but you're made of rock. All yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> I honestly um, did like the interplay between him and Chris Evans. I thought I thought they were kind of bouncing off against each other quite well. Right. Yeah. yeah. Those movies. Those movies were um, unfortunately bad, but like they were also kind of fun. And I have a feeling those are kind of going to be one of those. Um, sets of movies that as time passes they'll get more and more cult popularity mm. and i think they kind of deserve that for what they were so I, I like i'm i'm down for that but the thing is about the multiverse of madness is the things that were introduced into it were kind of were interesting so you have the introduction of the x-men into the mcu which i think is cool and long overdue like you know you have got that part you've got the inclusion of Fantastic Four, which if they do it right, is going to be great. Um, the ending of Doctor Strange was f- good. It was a good ending. 
Um, the stinger though, at the end of the movie, after the credits with <laughs> Theron, like, I mean, not the pizza Papa one, that one's just fun, but, um, well, that, unless you're in the audience I was in who stayed for that. Oh yeah. yeah. Everybody <laughs> in the audience stayed for this and they were like, that was all it fucking was. Are you kidding me? It's like, yeah, well, it's a Sam Raimi movie. All right. Yeah. Let him, let him you have got Bruce Campbell. Stuff uh, right. Morning. The, be- the yeah. best one, actually, the best one for that was, uh, I think it was at the end of Homecoming. Where you got Chris Evans as dressed up as Captain America doing the PSA, and he's just oh, yeah. like, "Yep, you waited all this time for this." <laughs> oh dear. Uh, also, <laughs> my yeah. favorite, my favorite after credit scene for any of the Marvel movies though was definitely Deadpool. <laughs> just because Deadpool, he came out and he was in like a robe. He was like, "What are you doing? Why are you still here?" <laughs> and he was just like, "The Ferris Bueller ending." Yeah, yeah, and I think. I think he even said, he goes, I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be another one, but I got nothing for you. Leave. <laughs> He's just like, yeah. get out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, Doctor Strange was good. It was um, it was good. The stinger was weird, but I'm looking forward to Charlie Theron being in the in the MCU. Um, man, people really hate Buck to the Eternals. They really <laughs> didn't like that one. Um, I, I'm, I'm still trying to decipher... At what point in the upcoming Marvel movies, someone is going to say, excuse me, there's a gigantic f***ing thing hanging out of the top of our planet. <laughs> right, yeah. They seem to have forgotten We're back to happened. John Hamm again. <laughs> <laughs> you can only have one John Hamm on Earth, because if you have two, it would throw the Earth's axis out, and we would all die. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> um... Yeah, so Charlie's Theron, I guess, coming into the Eternals timeline is kind of cool because that's that's what it seems like that's going for is it's going to have the Eternals, um, you know, t- multiverse Eternals timeline go into the Doctor Strange one, and this is it's at this point it's an orgy that I don't think anybody can decipher, but uh, yeah. we're gonna try. Like, so it'll be fun. Um, so yeah, that one I would say definitely. If you haven't seen that one, go uh, see it on Disney Plus. It's worth watching. It's worth your time. Um, have you seen? Okay, so I'm gonna hit Top Gun really quick. Okay, Top Gun was a historical milestone in filmmaking. Yeah, it was super nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It was not a good movie. Um. <laughs> And that's okay. Like it was that movie. I don't think was meant to be a good movie because the storyline was in star Wars. So like with a bit of iron Eagle tapped on the end. Exactly. Yeah. It's all it was. I mean, the storyline was not even paper thin. There was really no story there. It was just a whole point to get everybody together to go on the ride again. But what they did with the filmmaking was incredible with the cameras and the cockpit and the actual flight scenes were amazing. Also, as a side note, stop putting Val Kilmer in movies. Like, yeah. I get that. I get that you want to do it for the nostalgic purposes, but like, don't he can't do it talk anymore. anymore. Yeah, just like don't don't do it anymore. Like, use his likeness, give him the royalties or whatever, but don't put him in the movies anymore. It's just it's not even just that it's sad. Like, you can tell that he's not comfortable. Like, he just no. nothing about it is good. So when he showed up in the movie, it was just unnecessary. Like, so unnecessary. Yeah, and it was so uncomfortable with him, like, delivering what is now going to be his last ever spoken lines in a movie. Well, he didn't but, even speak them. No, no he did. On, it, it was, he did. It was through, like, an AI or something. 
that was like the big news no. about it is that they they basically had to use an AI to recreate his voice because he couldn't actually speak to deliver the lines in the film. Well, to be honest, I can live with that because that means his last kind of performance wasn't the snowman. No. Oh. <laughs> you know, I, I I applaud the fact that they had him in Top Gun Maverick just to kind of erase that as his lasting legacy. I really like the idea behind the snowman, but it, it was yeah. I know, the premise not walking in the air or anything. No. Yeah. The okay. The snowman was a great book, but I don't know how. I don't know how they could have misfired any more in that movie if they tried. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I would not wish that movie on my worst enemy. It was such a bad movie. Um, but so the thing about Top Gun is that if you're into nostalgia and you like the original Top Gun, definitely see it. Um, if it's still in theaters where you're at, see it in the theaters. Like, see it in a big screen. See it in a Dolby um, theater. Yeah, see it in a premium. See it in a premium. See uh, it in 4DX. That's Get where the- I saw it, and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in 4DX and I was there with my friend and she was like, I probably should have brought a jacket. And I was like, no, it's like 98 degrees outside. You're going to be fine. We get in there and then all of a sudden all these fans turn <laughs> on and it's all this wind and shit. And then like we were in the middle of one, I don't remember what part it was in the movie. We were in the middle of it and then all of a sudden water like sprayed in our face, but it was done so out of left field that it was like a jump scare. It was just like, it was ridiculous. Um, little, little did my friend David Zucker realize that Feelorama would actually be a real thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Forty yeah. X is such an interesting format too, because like if you go into there, if you go into a Forty X movie and you've drank anything, anything at all, you have to piss eight times during that movie. <laughs> it just happens because you're being shaken around in your seat yeah. so much, and your bladder's just like, oh, this is a great movie. Um, but yeah, Top Gun Maverick is fine. Like it's. Definitely go see it. Um, it's not a good movie. Just go in understanding that there is no storyline um, at all. They just they didn't even write one. They just said, "All right, planes, go get the bomb." <laughs> like it's just that's what it was. <laughs> I, I will admit um, this is this is a movie that simply doesn't exist if Tom Cruise is not on screen in it because he is on screen practically in every single scene. Yeah, so he's and also, kind of like Poochie also, then. <laughs> Anytime Tom Cruise is on the screen, we want everyone to be going, Where's Tom Cruise? You know, uh, side note, Tom Cruise's best part that he's ever played in any movie was playing Les Grossman in Tropical. Yes. <laughs> I will die on that hill. I will die on that hill. That is the best part that he has ever played in anything. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Better than Eyes oh. Wide Shut. Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut's another one. Um, That's, yeah. So here's the other thing. The the one of the funniest parts about Top Gun uh Maverick is that when he's working on the stealth plane, that's the fucking Aurora project. Like that is that's a real thing that they have talked about in the US military as like an as like a a quote unquote conspiracy theory. That's the fucking plane that they keep at Area 51. Like that is the one. And they didn't even hide it in the movie. They were just like they were just like it was such a middle finger to people that like actually are interested in Area 51. It was just them just going ha 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 fuck you we're putting it on the movie. Yeah. Like, it was it was hilarious though. All you um, 12 guys who decided that you were going to raid the base last year. Ah. 
That yes. was amazing because they just turned it into a music festival when I got there. That was uh, so good. I would have loved to have seen Tom Cruise running alongside all of those guys, giving a full-on Leroy Jenkins towards Area 51. Beautiful. <laughs> it would have been beautiful. Okay, so yeah, that's Top Gun. So that one's wrapped up. Definitely go to see that. I mean, like, you know, if you're into Top Gun and the nostalgia of it, go to see it. Yeah, I was watching a documentary on... Um on Prime just yesterday and it was about all of the action movies of the 80s and 90s and they started talking about Street Fighter and apparently uh, Stephen Lang was originally cast in that role and then they switched it for Raul Julia who was deemed as more marketable than Stephen Lang but it's that. when I watch that movie it's like and I think we mentioned it on the watch along it's like it's the most baffling choice of casting in any movie yeah. I have ever seen but for me andrew brynarski just steals that entire movie for me himself. yeah <laughs> the greatest line the, that line yeah. is the reason me and steve are friends to this quick change the channel <laughs> <laughs> i, I well, put on facebook at that line yeah. and he was the only person who picked up on it, it was like yes we can be friends yeah <laughs> what kind of a what kind of a testament is it to Raul Julia's casting that that was the most baffling casting and it wasn't a fucking Belgian dude that was playing an American hero, an American military hero. Like, he can't... Jean-Claude Van Damme is what Jean-Claude Van Damme is and an American, he is not. He cannot pull off any other accent other than his accent. He can't do anything else. No. He doesn't... He just is not a guy that can do that. So you have Guile coming in here who's supposed to be like Mr. Marines and he's a Belgian dude. Like there's no way. It's just all right. Like I guess that's just what we're doing in this movie, which is all right. Okay. Um his best part by the way as far as just like not giving a fuck whatsoever as far as Jean-Claude Van Damme parts go is when he was in the Expendables and he was playing yes. the bad guy. Um mm. In Expendables 2, wasn't it? I think it was part yeah, 2. Yeah, part yeah, 2. Second one. Yeah. Um, what was the best about that is that the either the script writers... Okay, so I don't know if it was Sylvester Stallone that wrote that, but whoever it is that wrote it either did not give even a single fuck or they gave too many. <laughs> because his name was Villan and it was spelled villain. They didn't even Dogs. try it. They did not even try. It was spelled villain, and they were just like, okay, we can't yeah. call him villain because we'd be assholes if we did that. So we're going to call him villain. Like, I, okay. I am Jean-Michel bad guy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come on. Come on. This is the oh. asshole who named one of his characters Marion Cobretti. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's oh no God. thought in these characters at all. It's just like, I need a name. What what kind oh. of name is good for a title? <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so have you seen The Northman? I haven't, but I have it right here ready to watch. Okay, so The Northman is another one. This is Okay, this is interesting because the first month that you guys have me on this, the majority of the movies that I watched this month were really good. Okay, um, so The Northman is great. Um, you gotta like Robert Eggers. You gotta like his stuff, though, because it definitely is still his style mm -hmm. it's a long movie um it's got his type of filming it's got his type of pacing although this one's not quite as slow as his others this one is also a lot more brutal than you would expect though like it's 
it's right up there as far as the brutality goes. But acting across the board is fantastic. And storyline's great. Like, it just, it's a very, very good movie. Has a very A24 feel, even though I think it's a neon film. I think. I think it is neon, yeah. Um, so yeah, that one I'm not going to get into too much because that one is also kind of ones that I really, that one's the one that I think people should really watch and experience for the first time, you know, as much as they can. Because there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in there. Um, and by the way, Nicole Kidman, for the time that she's in that movie, um, knocks out of the park. This is one of her best parts that she's done in years. So she's fantastic in it. There's also wow. a Skarsgård, isn't there? It's, yes. It's the, it's the Lord now. If you do any kind of film that is set in any part of Scandiwegia, then it has to have a Skarsgård. No matter which one. one. Yeah. Has to have one. At least one. Bill actually went to see The Northman. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen all the trailers for it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So, Bill, you know, let me know how it is. And apparently, Bill hated it. (laughs) That's also interesting. Some people really did hate that movie. Um, I I kind of understand why. I have a very love-hate relationship with Robert Eggers. Like, I hated The Lighthouse. Oh, that was the Robert Pattinson, Mm. uh, Willem Dafoe movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, and I had no problems with it as far as the acting goes. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe knocked out of the park. They were fantastic. Um, it was literally everything else about the movie. I didn't like the aspect ratio that he filmed it in, even though I understood the artistic choice. Um, I didn't like the fact that they shoehorned in a mermaid with a giant gaping vagina for no reason. Like, just... did it have teeth in it? It did not. It did not. It had a, it had an outward pulsating vulva though. All right. Like, um, and it wasn't even like, listen, I am, I am totally fine. Anytime you want to throw that on screen until it just doesn't fit. Um, but this movie is kind of like that in the sense that this part comes on where it's just like, did you really have to put that on there? Like, I, you know, it's not even a prudish thing. It's just like that literally does not fit in the movie. And the ending to the lighthouse was the, was infuriating because of everything else that was happening in the rest of the movie. And then when the ending came along, I guess, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen the lighthouse by now, it's a non-ending. Like, it just is one of those things where Robert Pattinson goes up to the top of the lighthouse, looks into the big beaming light, and credits. It's just like, all right. Like, there's no payoff whatsoever. The Northman is better as far as that stuff goes. Like, the stuff that's in there, all of it makes sense. It has an ending that makes sense. Like, it's so linear like that, it does make sense. I can see why people disliked it, though, because of the pacing. Mm-hmm. And also because it kind of jumps between a real world story and kind of a fantastical mystical story. So it doesn't really know what it is as far as that sense goes, but the ride is great. Like it's, it's a fun watch. Um, and like I said, it is, it is quite brutal. So if you're looking for like a gritty, you know, Norseman type of, you know, Viking movie, like it's that a hundred percent of the way. <laughs> Just mentioning there about, um, a 24, it takes a lot to kind of shock me in cinemas nowadays, but uh, I saw a movie just recently called Pleasure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the opening okay. scene of that movie has a guy with an erect penis just, like, jerking it off in front of a girl who's basically playing a porn star. So it's the Louis and... C.K. story, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 
basically. Like, but um, except this movie has more pleasure in it than I'm sure most of his uh, <laughs> most of his issues had. It's like, wow, this is the perfect movie to watch with mom. Yeah, no, you could actually you could actually leave the room during pleasure. So, <laughs> um, fucking Louie broke all of our hearts. Um, <laughs> um, no, that movie is that movie is actually an interesting one. Um, but yeah, so the Northman, it's it's a divisive movie. Um, people either like it or they won't. I have a feeling most people will like it, and I think also like reviews kind of state that too. Um, so now. Now I'm going to go into one that's super obscure. Um, it just came out on video on demand. It's a Spanish movie called The Passenger. I've seen uh, posters for this online. It's awesome. It's it's really good. Um, it's very fun. Um, like I said, it is a Spanish film, so you're you're talking like um, subtitles and stuff like that. Um, it's got a little bit of an invasion of the body snatchers thing going on. Um, it's got a little bit of. Uh, it's got a little sci-fi, little bit of like a Brian Usna-esque body horror thing going on too. Cool. Um, it's an interesting movie. It's a very interesting movie. The way that um, the way that the director lays out this movie, it's about a couple of people that are going um, from one place in Spain to another. They pick up a car riding service that's not like Uber or anything like that. It's more like a like a long distance travel uh, courier mm-hmm. service. And the driver is like this misogynistic dude, but also he's like protective at the same time. And when the conflicts start to happen, you find out that he's actually a a giant pussy. Like he's not protective at all. He's actually just a, he's a baby. Um, But the thing with the alien monster situation that's happening um, also has a social commentary when it comes to uh, gender roles in a grand sense of the way that gender roles are portrayed. Um, but it does it in a very creative way. It's not like ham fisted or anything like that, but it's what the, what the antagonist does to female victims compared to what it does to male victims is it's, it's clearly a thing that is, you know, a commentary on social, on those type of things. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not ham-fisted. It's just kind of one of those things that as you see it, you're like, oh, I see what they're saying. It's not like a thing that hammers you over the head. Um, all practical effects. One of the things that's cool is the way that a lot of the scenes are filmed inside of the van kind of have like a Tales from the Crypt look to them. Oh, cool. Um, which was completely on purpose. Because the director, um, he's a big fan of like Creep Show, Tales from the Crypt, a lot of anthology horrors and stuff like that, and also a fan of horror comic books. So you can see that translate really well to the film. Highly, highly, highly recommend uh, seeking that out on video on demand because I think it just came out. Um, I want to say like a week ago across most of the world. I, I have been seeing, like I said, the posters of it and advertisements, so I think it has just hit over here as well. Yeah, so that one's really cool. Um, so as an aside, Mad God is a weak ruiner. Oh yeah, we're kind of coming all the way back round to the to the beginning now, aren't we? Could you... Yeah, yeah. I want to say yeah. that about Mad God real quick because there's not much to say about Mad God because it's all visual. So the entire there's no script, there's no spoken anything. It's just entirely visual, um, and it's incredible. It's impressive. It is one of the best things I've visually seen in quite some time. 
Um, but it is the stuff that's happening because it's done through stop motion. Mm -hmm. They can get away with a lot more. And he utilizes that to the full extent. So it's a, it's a impressively violent um, film, but it's also impressive in all other ways too. So yeah, Mad God for sure. See it, but definitely like, watch it with somebody that you can spoon with afterwards because you'll need it. <laughs> yeah. I would say uh, that is Phil Tippett's movie. I've known yeah. Phil for many years and he has worked on this film for decades. It's incredible. So it is yeah. an incredible achievement. I haven't even managed to see it myself yet, but I remember when I was talking to him, getting you know, advice in the industry when I was first breaking in and he was working on it then, <laughs> you know, it was, it's, quite phenomenal that it's just took around 30 years since he was first conceiving it and ended up with students working on that movie as well yeah it's got a it's got a crazy lore behind it so um that's cool i'm glad that you know him because as far as how impressive that movie is i can't think of something that is more impressive as far as just pulling that movie off i cannot think of anything that's more impressive visually so my hat's off to him because the finished product is incredible but yes it will f you up for a while because it is dark like dark dark uh, i always thought his most impressive feat was how many pairs of tits he got into starship troopers too <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but to be honest and by the way if you want more proof that imdb is full of shit like we prove every single week yeah. imdb lists this movie as his first directed movie really yes do you okay but here do you think that maybe they did that because he started working on it 30 years ago that's that could be a good it point could be could be but if you're basing it off completed movies, no, then Starship yeah. Troopers to Hero at the Federation. Starring none of the original cast, but plenty of boobs. Starship Troop Starship Troopers 2 had to have more titties in it because it knew how bad of a movie it was going to be compared <laughs> to the first one. So, yes. I know he's your friend, but... <laughs> hey, it was we, a different time in 2004. Eyes. What's going to get this? What gets me in the seat? And then my other friend Ed Newmeyer directed the third one, so it's 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 a very weird kind of synergy of friendship that just made the, the Starship Troopers series. And then Jay Oliva worked on the animated ones, so I guess it's kind of That's weird. That's hilarious. That You're just busy out with Paul Verhoeven now, aren't you? Well, funnily enough, one of my good friends is actually married to Casper Van Dien. So it's, it kind of really all comes around. I am very much linked to... Uh, Get Michael Starship Ironside on, then. Get Michael Ironside on. Oh, I would love uh, to. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Michael Iron. Michael Ironside, uh, he's he's one of my favorite character actors. Yeah. You know, we can we talk about all his uh, performance work and everything. I'll just be there going, right, so, yeah, when you were voicing Sam Fisher in uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, we you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so Mad God, yeah, Mad God's, like I said, it's fantastic visually. Um, just know that it is going to, uh, you know, it's definitely going to pick you up some. Um, so Speaking I will go into, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will go into another one here that's very divisive that I'm pretty sure that you haven't seen yet, 
Um, but maybe you did actually get around to watching it. But Crimes of the Future. This is David Cronenberg's new movie, right? It is, yeah. I have not seen it yet, but it I it has I think just been released over here. I heard I heard that it had just gotten released over there. So um it's okay, so first off, it's Cronenberg, so you know what you're walking into. Mm. Right? You know that Cronenberg does what Cronenberg does. So you walk into this movie expecting it to be Cronenberg, body horror, you know, blah 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 blah. Um, I need to point something out at the beginning on here because I kind of have a bone to pick with Cronenberg on this because I think I think he bullshitted us because he said that there was a bunch of walkouts during this movie in during Cannes. I, I he's lying. There's no way. There's no way that this movie had walkouts. There's no way at all. Like because he's done some wild movies. Like as far as his body horror goes, like he's known for doing gross things, right? Yeah. Yeah. This movie did not have even close to enough stuff that would warrant walkouts. The only time, the only part whatsoever would be towards the third act. There's a dead body. It's not even a live person. It's a dead body. And it's a child on the table. And for like two seconds, it shows the kid's dick. That's the only part that I can think of where anybody would be like, nope, fuck it. It's enough. That's enough for me. It's got dead child dong on the screen. I got to get out of here. Like the rest of it is very tame for Cronenberg standards. It really is because the movie is about um, a future where people have stopped um, getting infectious diseases and they've stopped feeling pain. So the world that they live in, there's certain things that are um, that they have to be assisted with. Um, because the pain receptors are gone. So what they do is they have surgeries and they do like surgical procedures that Mm -hmm. are considered sexual at this point. So the surgical procedures that they do are not that gross. Like it's nothing crazy. Like it's a lot of, it's just like, you know, cuts or an incision here and there, like a little bit of a skin pull. Like there's nothing crazy. Um, as far as that stuff goes, there's a couple of times where, um, where like one of the people makes out with an open wound, which is kind of gross, but like it's done very close up and like their mouth is all the way over the wound. So it's just the concept of them licking an open wound. That's gross. You know what I mean? Like it's not actually visually that disgusting. It kind of just looks like they're giving them a raspberry on their stomach. Like it's their kid. (laughs) It's very weird, you know? But so it's on, not... on, a, on a par with James Spader fucking <laughs> Rosanna Arquette in the leg through a gash in her yeah, leg. Okay. Is it worse? That's that's it's not worse than that. That's the thing. It's not. There's one scene so Vigo Mortensen's character is a person that is in this world that actually does still experience pain. So he's an anomaly. And he also generates new organs. So his body is very different from everybody else's. Um, he still he still has pain. He still experiences these sensations. So he, him and his wife, the two main characters, are performance artists. Because what they do is they perform surgeries to get rid of his new organs that he has. Mm-hmm. And they do it as a performance art. So in this movie, all the furniture 
is this weird HR Geiger looking stuff. So like it's the beyond version. It's the beyond department of bed, bath and beyond like straight up. That's what it is. Like, <laughs> like he lays in a bed that looks like a giant uterus and cocoons him. So like, that's his bed. It's this thing that hangs from the ceiling that looks like a giant uterus and he lays in it and he has like tentacles attached to him that make sure that his body is regulated. Um, and then when he eats, he has to, he has to sit in what is easily the worst part of the movie. The worst set piece in the entire movie is this chair that looks like it's made of bones that like help him get food to go down. Um, the problem, the reason it's such a shitty set piece is that it's very jangly. So like every time it moves, it like, it's kind of like, he looks like a puppet that has somebody working the strings that doesn't know how to work the strings. So it just, it's very jarring, very, it's just like, it looks like, it looks like the set piece got fucked up and they just kept it in the movie. (laughs) It's kind of like what it looks like, you know, (laughs) they're just like, we don't have time to fix this. We're out of money. Just let it be shitty. Like, just let that be a thing. Um, but again, the actual gross parts of it, there's like one part where they're doing one of the live surgeries and like you see guts, but you don't see any blood. Like, so it's not even, it's not gross. Like it's an interesting movie, the storyline of it and this, and like the whole concept of them not feeling pain and, you know, the concept of, um, getting gratification from the surgical procedures because pain is such a taboo thing to even think about now. Um, and also there's a side story about people that consume plastic because their body has evolved to only, um, take in synthetic materials. So it's also a social commentary about humans needing to stop eating bullshit food or that's all their body's going to want. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like, I don't know. Maybe PETA was like a co-writer on this movie or something. I have no idea, but (laughs) just it's, it's one of those movies that because it's Cronenberg, I do like what he did with the visuals, but I do hate that he kind of bamboozled everybody with the whole, like so many people walked out of cans because this movie's so extreme. No, it isn't at all. It's like, this is your rom-com. All right. Like this is not (laughs) at all. Not even close to your grossest movie. Um, Doesn't have any exploding yeah. heads for a start. No, there's not, even... not one, not one exploding anything. I would still say the the one out of, in all of David Cronenberg's movies, the one that got me was Dead Ringers. Yeah, and it's the scene where she. Well, I'll basically say she takes a bite. That's all I'm going to say because it's in the box and you will get to see it at some point. I think you've this, seen uh, Dead Ringers during this dream sequence. Yeah, where cool. she's like separating them as twins and that's the one thing that got me more than anything else in all of Cronenberg's movies it's yeah I mean it's bizarre it's but it's it's Cronenberg you kind of just expect that but no I, I will I love, say that I love Cronenberg I, I, I wouldn't believe people walked out of his movie because I don't I think at his age now and you know this cycle of his filmmaking credentials i don't think he has that shock in him anymore no and i think he tried to with this one and it just was it yeah i think he tried to and it just failed like it was not shocking like it wasn't it wasn't like for multiple angles um i will say this Kristen stewart's part in the movie 
um, she is hyper fixated sexually um, on Viggo Mortensen's character because she gets off on the fact that he can feel pain and she kind of wants to experience it like vicariously through him. Mm-hmm. And the energy that she puts off on screen is, um, how do I put this lightly? I've never wanted to f- Kristen Stewart more than I did in this movie. <laughs> um, she is she does such a good job of putting out the fact that she's that she's getting really horny off of him that it makes you kind of be like, oh shit, like I'm kind of into this now. Like, what just happened to me? Like, <laughs> it's it, yeah, it, she does a very good job of doing the part that she's supposed to do. If Cronenberg really wanted to dry her out, he should have shown her shown her his performance in Nightbreed. <laughs> <laughs> he he could have just sat her down and be like, "Did you know that I was also in Jason X? Look at this." Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about but, that one. I uh, I love Cronenberg's first movie, Shivers. That was oh yeah, yeah, movie. that was good. I I like The Brood as well. I actually really enjoyed that. I don't know why, but I really enjoyed it. No, it's a good movie. It's definitely a good movie. Um, do, can you think of a movie that Cronenberg directed that would surprise people? Um, I was kind of surprised by A Dangerous Method because that was so different than anything Cronenberg had really done before. Yeah. But I'd say Existence, which was kind of unfortunately buried by The Matrix coming out around the same time. That's the one that I would have said, is Existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one I, I think if you said that Cronenberg directed that one, it would shock most people because it's it feels like the least Cronenberg movie out of all of them. Um, as a side note, his son is an incredible filmmaker. Really? Brandon Cronenberg. Um, he has a movie that came out, I want to say two years ago, maybe at this point, called Possessor. Oh my God, oh, yes. 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 That it, movie it's... is wild and it's so good isn't there an unrated version of that that's out as well or an extended version of it yeah there's an unrated version of it and it definitely doesn't add a lot but what it adds is uh it definitely is why it's unrated <laughs> yeah I, I think it's the unrated version of it i saw but yeah. yeah it's uh it's an amazing film uh, obviously if you're going to say for the shock value i think crash is the one that gets the most publicity is the most shocking for Cronenberg, I guess. Yeah, but now if you want to watch a movie about people cars, you can watch Titan or Titan or yes, Titan or whatever this. it is. I, I can't <laughs> think of how to pronounce that one right now. But that one, that's that's your new car sex movie. That's the yes. one. <laughs> yeah. You'll never look at Lightning McQueen in the same way. No. You will not. Gachow, my God. Gachowder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh man um, oh my god no, I have a feeling that we're descending now into uh, the arena of the unwell for what comes next I have a feeling oh, I know what it might be we have two movies left on my list right now Okay. Um, that are both the two that I hated the most out of this month by leaps and bounds Okay. Um, but as an aside really quick I just got to see the black phone go see that yes I've heard it's amazing yeah. I quite it's like fantastic the of that as well. It is fantastic. Um, definitely go see that. First movie that I hated. Uh, I'm going to end it on horror. So before I go to horror, I'm going to hit it with this one. 
Jurassic World, fuck that movie. <laughs> Uh, this is what I've been waiting well, for. He's got oh. dinosaurs in it. Oh, okay. First off, this movie is basically the fossilized and the furious, and it is one of the <laughs> worst movies. <laughs> it is such an overblown piece of shit movie. It is so bad for so many reasons, and only one of them is Chris Pratt. Okay? I am <laughs> so done with Chris Pratt being in movies. I, I don't, I am sick of his face. This movie specifically is so bad. And the, this is the, the most damning thing about it is that you, you brought the original cast members from the first one back for this, for this movie, you brought Sam Neill back for this. How dare you? Okay. <laughs> Okay, tonally, it has no idea what it is. It has no idea. There's car chases in the middle of Italian alleyways with a velociraptor that's chasing people that are on dirt bikes. Like, why? Why are you having these car chases with dinosaurs? You have a two and a half hour long movie that you could have easily cut 45 minutes out of. And those 45 minutes could have been car chases that you had with the velociraptor in the middle of italian alleyways okay it's so they could sell a toy set with bikes and chasing velociraptors and And that crossover with uh, the fast and the furious franchise as well yo this movie has so much michael bay stink on it it is so bad like michael bay is not has nothing to do with this movie but you wouldn't know that by watching the movie Everything explodes that shouldn't explode. There's things that blow up and have sparks fly out of them that have no electricity attached to them at all. Okay. (laughs) I don't know how they sat down and watched the, like the finished product of this movie and said, this is good. This is, we've made a good movie here. I, I don't know how, I don't know how they've done that. So that's the part before they even get to the Island that has all the dinosaurs and has the new bad guy who is the most paper thin, the most paper thin bad guy. Like he has no range whatsoever. No depth whatsoever. I had no idea this movie even had a bad guy in it. I just thought that one of the big dinosaurs was the main big bad of it. This actually has a bad guy in it. Yeah. It has a poacher. It has the, okay. It's not even a poacher. It has a guy who employs poachers. Okay. So the actual storyline of the movie is the guy who's the big bad guy that owns the island that has all the dinosaurs on it and has this new corporation that he's using to create dinosaur new dinosaurs that he can use to, you know, it doesn't matter. He's a really bad guy. That's all. That's all it is. He's just a oh, really no. bad biologist. Like It's not, Ca- it's not Campbell Scott, is it? Uh, no, no, I don't Cam- think so. Is it, is, it the, is it the guy who was in the original film? No, 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 no. no. So he basically the guy owns owns the big island um, that is also like the big corporate. um, What would you call him? He's the one that does a lot of the genetic engineering and stuff like that. Oh, Um, like the BD Wong guy. Yeah, right. So BD Wong is in the movie. He is the main scientist in the movie. That's also the consultant. Okay. Um, 
Dr. Jeff Wogue. Goldblum is in the movie. He's the professor that is teaching the new workers about the dinosaurs and about their biology and about all these other things. Um, he, so he's there as a professor. So you got B.D. Wong, who's the main scientist, who's being held there against his will, by the way. He doesn't want to be there. Um, you got Jeff Goldblum, who is getting paid a lot of money to be there, but also completely understands that this guy is just a raging piece of shit. Then you've got Chris Pratt, and you've got Bryce Dallas Howard, who have a little girl who is a clone of one of the original scientists that was at this big lab corporation who hires poachers to steal Blue, who is the little blue velociraptor. Uh And Blue made a baby velociraptor by herself without any kind of a mate. So it was self-reproduction. And the poachers see that, so they steal the baby. And they also steal the clone girl. And there's a part in the, in the trailer that is kind of funny because after the little baby Velociraptor thing gets stolen, Chris Pratt does his weird fucking hand thing that he does to calm the dinosaurs down because that's realistic. Uh, and he, <laughs> he tells the, the mom Velociraptor, I promise that I will get her back. And then later on in the movie, he's, uh, he's talking to Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum goes, you made a promise to a Velociraptor? And he goes, yeah, what's wrong with that? He goes, all right, well, this is why we're all going to die. Which would have been a fitting ending to the movie if they would have just vaporized everything. Um, So the whole idea behind all this convoluted bullshit is that this big bad biology majored guy that is really not smart at all. He's just a big businessman. He's basically Elon Musk. He's there to study the self-generating Velociraptor baby and the clone baby so that he can get these dinosaurs to self-regenerate for till the end of time. And he's just going to have control over all the dinosaurs that are going to retake over the world. And if humans want to survive, they have to do his bidding. They like, they don't even explain it. That's the biggest thing. They set up this big grand scheme of this techno overlord guy and then they just don't explain what he wants to do once the dinosaurs take over the whole fucking world. At all. They just don't. He has no end game. He's just just a big, mean techno guy. That's all. Just zero depth villain. All the original characters are wasted. B.D. Wong is in the movie for about ten minutes, and he's very sad the whole time. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum does his Jeff Goldblum shit. You know, like he just, he, he says his lines. He's attractive for some weird reason. Like just, you know, just doing his Jeff Goldblum thing. Um, Chris Pratt is the save the day guy, which really bums me out. Um, yeah, there's not much to the movie. It just, it's long, takes way too long to get to anything. It's big, it's loud, it's dumb. It has no storyline whatsoever that really makes any sense. And to think that this is the way that they're going to end the franchise is really sad. Like it's a bummer that this is going to be the end of Jurassic park, but also it should be the end of Jurassic park. Yeah. (laughs) So out of this in Jurassic park three, is this worse? Exponentially. Wow. Okay. I mean, for me, Jurassic world has never, I, I, 
I had this conversation uh, with someone on Facebook the other day, funnily enough, and it was in regards to the whole Jurassic World franchise. And the fact is, no one is ever going to recapture what we caught with Jurassic Park. No. No. And that is why Jurassic World fails, because it is nothing new. Jurassic Park was new. It It changed cinema in a way. Yeah. But with Jurassic World, and I've heard some major disappointing things, and maybe you can clarify because I have not seen it yet. Uh, enough of the bad reviews kind of put me off spending the money to go and see it. But um, I hear that the much ballyhooed and released on YouTube for free um, beginning of the movie, where it's way back in the prehistoric era and stuff like that, isn't actually in the movie. Nope, not in the movie. So what they said was the first 10, well, 8 to 10 minutes of the movie that they released on YouTube is not actually in the movie. Now, that'll be in the extended cut when it gets released on the Blu-ray. Yes, the less disappointing cut. They call it a prologue, and it's absolutely not in the movie whatsoever. It's not. That's Uh, that's the word I was looking for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's not in the movie. Um, That part's out of the movie. Um, The other thing, like, so the movie before this one, Fallen Kingdom, Nobody thought that a Jurassic World movie could be worse than that one. And Very this true. one this one is not only worse, it is impressively worse. It's wow. just and when I say like I know I joked around when I called it the fossilized and the furious, but it's that. Like there's people riding dirt bikes that jump onto planes. Um that be you know, physics <laughs> physics, I guess. Um there's also planes that get their entire wings and engines ripped off while they're over a body of water, but they still somehow make it to land. That's <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Um, there's multiple people that fall into a frozen lake and then they just get right out of that frozen lake. Like they didn't almost just freeze to death. Like they're not even shivering. They're just like, well, that was now I'm wet. And then they just walk away. Like, there's just so many things that are just jarringly inconsistent in the movie. On top of the fact that it's got a shitty storyline. On top of the fact that it's got a paper-thin villain. On top of the fact that Sam Neill would rather be in literally anything else. Like, he sleepwalks through this movie so bad. Like, he, you can tell he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's actually probably sad that they did this to his movie. And, yeah, he, you can tell he doesn't want to be there. Um, you remember the giant, uh, the giant pile of dinosaur shit that was in, that was in the first one? Oh, yes. Okay, so that is this movie. That's what this is. It's just, that's what they did. They brought it back to the beginning. They were like, remember that big giant pile of shit? Well, we made it. So that's what they've done. (laughs) There must be a meme out there of the poster of Jurassic World Dominion. And then it instantly, at the bottom of it, is Jeff Goldblum there. There has to be. (laughs) And if there isn't, create it and credit us. Okay, so. Last one. The final movie. What can be worse than Jurassic World Dominion this month? Men. Men. Oh my god. I've seen some trailers of this and I was quite confused. Okay. Here's the problem with this movie. I wanted to like this movie a lot actually because I'm a big A24 fan. Um, I like I love Alex Garland actually. Um, yeah. As a filmmaker, I think he's fantastic. Um, Jesse Buckley, who is the main, uh, the main woman in the movie, 
she's fantastic. And she's good in this movie, too. She's absolutely fantastic. And then Rory Kinnear, who is the other main guy, also fantastic. And he does good in the movie. Like, so the main gist of this movie, just so everybody knows, is that Jesse Buckley's character, Harper, um, has a traumatic thing happen where her husband um, commits suicide. And um, to deal with her grief, she decides to go to a little town out in the countryside to, you know, unwind, deal with her grief, etc. And when she gets there, it is full of these men that all have different um, traits of toxic masculinity. Now, before I continue on this, I need to make it very clear. The fact that toxic masculinity is essentially the bad guy in this movie is not what's wrong with him. That actually is fine. Like, if you took mm-hmm. that concept and you took the the parts of toxic masculinity that they talk about as being these bad things and you use those as story arcs, you know, whether it's spousal abuse, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's, uh, you know, like polarizing gender roles, whether it's... Um, you know, temperaments. And like, if you used all these things as story arcs, they would work just fine. Okay. They totally would. And you could actually use it as a good story to talk about her grief and her trauma that she has attached to the most important male in her life, which was her husband killing himself in front of her, essentially. So you could totally do that. The problem is that they took that concept and they beat it to absolute death. And they did it over and over and over and over again to the point where you don't know who this movie is even marketed towards. Because if you're marketing it towards people that know that all that stuff is bad, that know that you don't abuse women, that know that you don't scream in women's faces, that know that you don't rape women, if you're marketing it towards those people, they're going, yeah, no shit. Like that's, there's Mm -hmm. no... There's no aha moment. There's just like, yeah, no shit. It's bad. Okay, move on, you know? So if you're marketing towards them, doesn't work. If you're marketing towards people that are like trolls and people that exhibit these traits, you're sure the fuck not going to change their mind. They're going to be like, yeah, he's the good guy. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that's, so it's not towards them. Here's where the biggest problem is. Rory Kinnear plays every single man in this movie. Yeah. Okay, which is an interesting concept, except for the fact that it's only for the audience. So what I mean is that Jesse Buckley is interacting with all of these Rory Kinnears as if they're completely different people that don't have Rory Kinnear's face. So that's not she doesn't see any of that. That's just for the audience, which makes it really fucking stupid. It makes it so dumb because as the audience, you're watching it going, Oh, why is this guy's face on every single man in this entire movie? And then you look at Jesse Buckley, who is having zero reaction to the fact that this is the same face on every single man in this movie. So it's a complete disconnect because if you're doing it for the audience, the audience doesn't give a shit. Nobody in the theater gives a flying fuck that this same face is on every single person when you have a lead actress who has absolutely no reaction to it whatsoever, it's a complete, uh, complete emotional disconnect to the point where it's laughable. Okay. 
So it changes the tone of the movie completely. And then when you get to the third act, this is also something I need to point out, is that every man in this countryside village is white, and there's a reason that I'm mentioning this. Um, I'm going to spoil the shit out of this movie just so everybody knows. So if you actually do want to see this movie, pause this right now, see it, get really pissed off, and then come back and listen to the rest of this. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) So you get to the the third act. The third act is where the quote-unquote horror comes into play. And it's really gross. And it's trying to put something across as far as like a, uh, like a message, a social commentary message. Uh, and it doesn't work. And I'll tell you why. The third act shows one of the Rory Kinnear men um, giving birth to other Rory Kinnears. Through various parts okay. of his body. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Through various parts of his body. Uh, one time his leg opens up and a new Rory Kinnear comes out of it. One time it very clearly is coming out of his dick hole. Um, one time it's definitely coming out of his ass. One time it's definitely coming out of his chest. So it's like this one central male monster figure that is giving birth to other male monster figures which is very clearly saying that toxic masculinity is a generational thing that keeps on getting passed from generation to generation to generation to generation, which is basically what the whole fucking movie does. Just tells you that the whole time. Okay. So by the time that you get to this gross body horror thing, that is very clearly trying to tell you that one shitty male continuously makes new shitty males. You're so exhausted by the message that you don't care about the extremely gross body horror that's happening right in front of you. And then after he gives birth to multiples of these toxic men, you find out that the one that's responsible for it the whole time is actually her African-American fiance who's been doing it the whole time. Right. Who's been the one that is responsible for all of these toxic white dudes So you've got the one black character in the whole movie is the main villain who's responsible for the continuous, the continuous rebirth of all these shitty white dudes. Right. Which makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And also kind of makes it weirdly racist. Like, (laughs) yeah. So basically, they're saying that black guys make white guys hate women. That's, that's that, that is that basically that's the what the movie saying? Yeah, that's the way it comes across. Even though I don't think that's intentional, that's the way it comes across. That's okay. I'm I'm just baffled by it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not your explanation of it. I have a feeling that I would walk away from this movie. Probably very angry that I'd watch it. It's it's an infuriatingly bad movie, and and it, it's none of the technical stuff. Uh, the effects are great. The look of the film is actually really really good. So like Alex Garland directs the shit out of it. Like he does a great job. Like absolutely beautifully directed. As far as the writing goes, he also wrote the movie, and I have no idea what he was thinking. This is the guy who wrote Dread, by the way. Yeah. 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 And for, for you gamer out there, Steve, he also wrote Devil May Cry. He did. Yeah. 
And that's the thing is he's he's extremely talented. Like he really is. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, yeah, which is great. He, he he wrote quite a lot of movies for Danny Boyle back in the day. I think he wrote. Uh, the, did he write the novel of the beach? I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he did. I, I, I think and he Sunshine also wrote as Sunshine as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, and his directing stuff. I mean, I really love Ex Machina, and I love uh, Annihilation as well. I thought they were brilliant movies. Annihilation you know, was great. Annihilation yeah. was great. And the actual effects of the body horror that's done at the end of it um, is actually very cool looking. It's it's awesome. Like it's it's a hell of a lot more intense than the David Cronenberg movie, um, as far as the body horror goes. But the whole concept of that whole continuous rebirth thing at the end of it, it, it really fucked up the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But also that weird emotional disconnect. Like, why would you have Rory Kinnear's face be on all of these people just so the audience can see it and have it not be a thing that she reacts to the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. I it, think Alex Garland had a really fucked up lockdown. Yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> I, I you think know, he it, did. You know, this actually reminds me of... Do you, You've seen uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central or Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Yeah. Yeah, there's just that bit where just like they'll say something and then I think it's uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes just comes in and just goes, Message! Message! Yeah, it's like. Very much is that. Yeah. Don't be naughty to women. You hearing? Yeah, we got that. I'll shoot this white dude out of my dick. Yeah. That's, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like as you're watching it too, it gets laughable. Because it's like, okay, cool, his thigh's going to give birth now? That's awesome. Yep, right out of the dick hole that one was. Oh, look, there comes a guy out of his asshole. This is fun. All right, where's it going to come from next? You know, like, it's, it is one of those things that, like, also some, like, there when we watched that, when we walked out of the movie, there was a couple that was right next to me. As soon as the credit hit, he breaks the dead silence in the room and goes, what the f- was that and then everybody just started <laughs> laughing just mm. dying laughing because we were all like did you just you didn't get it either because i didn't you okay cool i'm not alone yeah so that one is that one is easily the worst one just from uh out of the whole month that one is that one was the one that was shockingly bad and it's getting like 50 50 reviews basically and i am not really sure how people are liking the movie like I just I don't see I don't see where the enjoyment is in this movie. Yeah, I don't think you'd get many um many people complaining about Elvis. <laughs> if, no. if it was paired up with this movie. No. But no, I suppose no. with that being out and the Black Phone, obviously, which you've just been to say, obviously Black Phone is the movie to go and watch. Black Black Phone is incredible. Um it's a psychological thriller more than anything else. There is some horror aspects to it, but it definitely is a psychological horror above anything else. Um, Ethan Hawke does amazing. And it's, uh, it's not what you expect, but it's great. The tension that it builds through the whole movie is fantastic. My only thing that I would say about that movie at all, if there's anything that I would say needs to be needed to be done more is they need to pull the trigger a little bit more on what happens to the kids. Right. Right. Because they kind of skirt around it. Yeah. Yeah. Just for more impact. So they kind of skirt around that, but it's, it's a fantastic movie. Okay. Awesome. Well, well, you know what? There's a whole handful of movies there. Um, Some that, you may have seen already a lot of them you may never have heard of 
and some of them you may completely be put off from seeing. Yeah, it's definitely a few for me, yeah. Yeah. Listen, if you like some train wreck movies, there's definitely some in there, so, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And trust me, there's going to be an episode on train wreck movies soon enough, and I think you need to come back just for that one. Oh, believe me, I have some... I have some definite train wreck movies that we can talk about. <laughs> well, in that case, let's not waste any time. Let's nominate five, Steve. Now's the time to nominate five. Nominate five? Yes, nominate five. Or three, or four, or six, or nine. Now's the time to nominate five. Yeah, I didn't expect that one, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I segued the shit out of that. Nobody expects to nominate five. <laughs> Nobody expects to nominate five. Okay, well, Steve, what's nominate five? Nominate five is the part of the show where we get our guest, if we have one, to nominate five of their favourite things. It's entirely dependent on what the guest is. And uh, this week, because we've got Jonas on, we decided that we were going to be a little bit funky with him. So, Andy... What is our nominate five for Jonas? Let's have a look at what could possibly be, with Jonas being a bit of an expert on horror, and not going into the ones we've already kind of mentioned here today. Mm-hmm. Jonas, what are the ultimate five pieces of dog shit horror movies <laughs> you can come Ooh. up with? Ooh. <laughs> ultimate five. Okay. Movies that the are creme so de la crap. The creme de la crap. <laughs> creme de la crap. Yeah. And mm, don't even okay. have to do them in any order because no one does it. <laughs> no well, I can does. tell you what the number one... I'll tell you what number one is, um, no matter what. And that is Exorcist 2, The Heretic. <laughs> that is... Poor John Bowman. <laughs> that is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I need to say something to the side. I'm a completist when it comes to my home media stuff. Yes. And I was so sad when I had to buy Exorcist 2 so that my OCD didn't freak out when I looked at my Blu-ray, my, <laughs> my Blu-ray case. Yeah. And saw that, that, that missing piece right there. I was just like, Fuck, I have to buy that movie. Like, it, it, it's like a nerve, isn't it? In your, it in, is. In a, in a broken tooth. You just keep having to keep poking at it until you get it fixed. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, That's like the people yeah. who own all five of the Prophecy movies. Yeah. Just Ooh. because they wanted the first one. <laughs> oh, ouch. That Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not... That's one, that you, that's one that's really hard to go down the road of. I'm really glad that I didn't buy any of those. And you've just reminded me to not even buy the first one. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and I also bought all of the Leprechaun movies, by the way, and that's that. So you know how shitty the prophecy movies are. If I'm not even willing to go down that road, um, <laughs> so if we're talking top five shittiest, this is going to be a lot of sequels and remakes. Okay, okay, it usually is. So Exorcist Two for sure is top dog, piece of shit, the worst. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do four regular ones that like most people will expect, and then I'm going to do a hot take on the end. Okay. Okay. So, first one, Exorcist 2. Next one is going to be the newest Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Um, I didn't even bother. <laughs> um, it, has, it has one redeeming quality, and that is the bus scene. Um, and that's it. The bus scene, um, even if you just look up that scene, that's all you need to know in that whole movie. 
And that's where Leatherface goes on to this bus full of insufferable uh, teenagers that try to film him for social media. And he does not like that, so he massacres every single one of them in glorious fashion. Um, aside from that, it's an unwatchable piece of shit, and nobody should ever watch it. It's terrible. It should never have been made. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, there's only really two for me. Uh, the original, obviously, but my friend Marcus directed the remake in 2003. I like um, the remake. Yeah, M- Marcus Nispel, um, a great guy, and he, he did a great Friday the 13th remake as well. I, really I like that enjoyed one. it. And, um, yeah, his version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003, I thought, was really good. Yeah, it really was. It was fantastic. Um, especially, like, if you're going to reimagine something as gritty and wild as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what he did with the remake is exactly how you should do it. Like, yeah. perfectly done. Um, the, uh, the new one, this is something that, as a filmmaker you would especially watch and it would infuriate you. Oh, it is yeah. so beyond obvious that that is done, that this is done on a back lot that it will make your eye twitch. Like when you, when you see it, you like, if you saw the, the ghost town that this is supposed to take place in, it's a fucking film set. It looks like a film set. Like <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. That was probably done right up at golden Oak ranch or somewhere like that. But, it was um, filmed in Bulgaria. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was filmed in Bulgaria, and the ghost town that they're in uh, couldn't look more like a film set if it tried. Mm. Um, it's it's stupid. Um, but anyway, yeah, te- News Texas Chainsaw Massacre, absolute trash. Um, the next one, the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Uh, God yeah. bless Jackie Earl Haley he did what he could with playing Freddy Krueger. But as soon as they CGI'd Freddy Krueger's face and made him look like a turtle, that was the end of the movie. <laughs> like, I, what, how, why, why would you do that? <laughs> um, and also if you're going to redo iconic scenes from the nightmare on Elm street, why would you do those in CGI? Why would you do the wall scene in CGI? Why would you not redo the blood geyser scene from the first one? Like, there's so many things that they did wrong in that one. And it is a painfully bad movie. Painfully bad. That's very true. I don't know how you could follow them. No. Uh, And then the the other one that's the fourth one, um, before I do the hot take... um, for me, for me, it's going to be Leprechaun 4. <laughs> Leprechaun it's... 4 is, that's Leprechaun in space. <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell that a franchise has just hit rock bottom when it's such and such in space. In space, yeah. <laughs> they did it with Hellraiser. They did it with, oh, fuck, there's so many Jason Hellraisers. Jason X. And, yeah. Um, Jason X was at least somewhat enjoyable because they leaned into the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it, but Jason X they also did at the right time when they actually had the technological ability to make it look fun. They did Leprechaun in Space in, like, 1996 or some shit like that, so, like, the digital effects were so, so, so bad. Mm. So bad. Um, Okay, so here's the hot take. 
There's the steamer. And it's a more recent movie, and a lot of people definitely won't agree with me. Um, but it's a movie called What Comes at Night, or It Comes at Night. Yes. Yeah, I've seen this movie. Okay. I wanted to like that movie a lot. I like everybody involved with that movie, in fact. Um, Joel Edgerton, absolutely love him. Riley, whose last name I can't pronounce ever. Um, Keo, or I think it's K E O U G H. I know, I just know that. Keo. But I can never, Keo. Is it? Okay. Keo. Um, I love her and everything that I've seen her in. Um, I also, uh, I, yeah, they, they had a lot of things going for it that I was into. Um, I've never been more pissed off at the ending of a movie after having to sit through the rest of what that movie was than I was on this movie. Um, it's long, it's boring, it has no, there's no, um, conclusion. You don't get any payoff. There's no payoff whatsoever. So by the time the end of the movie comes along, you don't know what comes at night. They don't tell you what it is, if anything. Like, there's, they don't even give you an idea. Like, it was one of those movies that was long, drawn out, boring. Um, it was too dark. Like, the lighting in it was dog shit. So, like, there was, like, when they wanted to do things that were in the background that were going to scare you or whatever, they darkened it so much that it didn't work. And I watched it also on home media just in case, like, it turned the brightness up and stuff. Nope. It's just the way they filmed the movie. There's just, it was very poorly done. Um, and then by the time that you get to the end of the movie, if there was going to be a payoff, if, if, if it was a thing or if it was a... a disease or an animal or whatever the fuck nothing it just cuts right off it gives you the sopranos ending (laughs) where it just does straight to black the theater that i was in was so pissed off at the end of this movie everybody there was not one person in that theater that was not furious by the complete lack of an ending because what we had just sat through was so bad it was so boring. And this movie somehow has a shitload of good reviews. Like, it's rocking an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. See, that must be like a flashback to Before Sunset for you, Steve. Yeah, I mean, this is just proof that the whole Rotten Tomato system is just... It's 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 broken. It's absolutely broken. It makes no sense. No. It makes no sense yes. at all. Well, we never said it makes sense, and that was the point of uh, what's in the box. But... Uh, absolutely amazing countdown there of movies to avoid. <laughs> Unfortunately, now I will say this about Leprechaun Four. I did put it in the list, but also you should watch it just to see how shitty it is because it's kind of hilarious. Like it's terrible, but it's it really is kind of funny. And there's also a movie I want to do as an honorable mention. By the way, I only didn't mention this one because I don't think a lot of people even know it exists. But it's possibly the worst movie ever made, and it is a horror film. It's called Verotica. Oh, oh, I I haven't oh, seen it, but I did see the the red letter media uh, review that they it's, did. It's it the looks... Danzig movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm only I, like I said, I only didn't put it on the list because it almost feels like a cop out. Like I don't want to kick Danzig while he's down. Like he's already only five feet tall, and he's already like. <laughs> he's, He's Danzig, and 
there could not have been more bad decisions made in the making of a movie than there was yeah. in that movie. Um, oh my God. The first story has a spider in it that turns into a fully grown person who's wearing a spider suit. It kind of looks like Goro in the, the Mortal Kombat movie, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it looks like Goro from Mortal Kombat, but his face, his head looks like um, looks like what's his face from God of War, the video game. Kratos, yeah. Kratos, yeah. yeah. Uh, his head looks like that, but the reason I bring up that spider suit is because there's a part that's very clear halfway through that first story where the spider suit is broken. Like one of the arms is literally broken. And you can see a giant open seam on the suit, like on his crotch. And he just doesn't fucking change it. (laughs) He just lets that be a thing for the rest of the half of the story. Um, And also the spider that turns into the spider guy. Um, The actual digital spider looks like it was made on the very first iteration of iMovie. Uh, It's just (laughs) really bad. It's really, really bad. Um, And the woman in the first story... Um, she has eyeballs for nipples and, mm. and they cry, um, they cry actual tears, um, for, like they cry actual tears when this spider guy kills people. It just, it makes no sense. Um, but the, the eyeball nipples are very, very clearly put on with like putty. Like it just, there's so much <laughs> that movie alone is so hilariously bad. Um, so that one's an honorable mention just because if you want to watch a big piece of shit movie, like, okay, the reason I didn't put it on the list is because you should actually watch that movie. It's on what? Shutter, and you should watch that movie. The other ones, fuck them. This one, you should watch this movie. <laughs> yes. If just thing... some atrocious performances. Yeah. Yes, well, the one thing... Atrocious guarantee... is giving them way too much credit, actually. Well, the one thing we can guarantee, Steve is that is not going to be what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, his Segway game is on point tonight. Oh, yes, say. it is. It is. Steve, what's in the box? What's in the box is the part of the show where Andy tries to improve my movie education and uh, mostly fails because I'm a uh, just I'm I'm a Neanderthal. Uh, well, he has got uh, loads of movie titles in a box, and all of them are certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. He's going to pick out the name of a movie at random, and if I have seen it, then I have to go away and watch it the day we day before we record our next episode. But if I Wait, no, did I f*** that up? You f***ed that up. We've done this for like 49 episodes. Jesus Christ, yes. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I've got a box. Certified for extra movies. Yeah, if he's seen it, he doesn't have to watch it. No. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. You know, if I've seen the film, I don't have to watch it. If I haven't, then I do. There you go. Blah, blah, blah. Right, (sighs) Andy, what have we got from what's in the box? Okay, so the first one I pulled out, have you seen... Oh, it's a classic. This I'd be amazed if you haven't seen it, but then again, I'm amazed by everything you haven't seen. Have you seen Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest? Actually, no, I haven't. Oh, well, there you go. 
Now you've got to go and watch North by Northwest. Ready oh, for a review. Yes. Have you seen that one, Jonas? You must have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. Of course, of course. No spoilers for you, Steve. You'll love it, actually. I think yeah. you'll be right up your street. So, and hopefully Bill will be able to say we've actually chose a good movie for yes. you for once. Watch a nice little bit of Cary Grant, yes. Yes. Okay, well, an amazing show. Jonas, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. It's been a fantastic time. We've really heard a lot of great and bad movies <laughs> over the course of the last month. And before we go, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, first off, thank you guys for having me on. Um, you know, hopefully hopefully if I come back in July, uh, there's some shittier movies in July and we can really dig into those, um, which I think there is. I think there's going to be. June just happened to be a good month. Um, but my, uh, my podcast is another goddamn horror podcast. We have a different guest on every week. Um, if we don't have a guest, it's rare. But occasionally if we don't have a guest, we'll do a list episode. With just me and uh, the co-hosts, Graham Fay and Ryan Danley. Um, and then I actually have a secondary, um, like, spinoff or, you know, a piece of that podcast, actually, that we do for our Patreon called The Grindhouse. And on that one, I bring in filmmakers, actors, um, and people that are involved with films. And we deep dive one of their movies or a movie that they uh, particularly enjoy. Um, that one's been cool. Uh, we did that with X which is one of the more recent movies that just came out, uh, Ty West's movie. Um, yeah, I did that with X, and then I also did a recent one with Fred Vogel, who is a filmmaker known for making probably the most fucked up indie horror film ever made. And I brought him on to talk about his newest movie, which is a completely different vision from what he's known for, um, which is very cool. Um, so that's called The Grindhouse. Um, and then lastly, there's one other thing that I have, um, that it's called the Traumedy Hour. And what that is, is it's actually me bringing on a guest to talk about mental health and trauma and, uh, you know, grief and like all, basically all the things that society tells us not to talk about. So yeah. we, we kind of open that up and we talk about all those things and we make it fun. Like we make it funny. We make jokes about the things that we've gone mm -hmm. through and just kind of try to help remove the stigma from those things and hopefully help out anybody that's listening that might be struggling with their own shit. So that's kind of a, that's the other thing that we do. So that one's it's amazing. Yeah. That one's kind of near and dear to my heart because I've definitely been through some shit in my life. And I know that it was a lot of people, you know, have uh, an issue being silent about that stuff and we feel like you should talk about it so that's what we do yeah oh, that's you, amazing yeah we've we both been through our own little uh our own little battles haven't we yes i think where is next two guests yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen i i mean no all jokes aside uh i would love to have you guys on to uh have a little therapy session on the dramedy hour i think that would be great no yeah no, i'd love to great. Yeah, we have nothing to hide. We're in the entertainment business. <laughs> the well, entertainment, we'll industry, on... entertainment industry thrives on trauma. I know oh, exactly. Yeah, that's how we've got through so many fucking weeks of Amber Heard. Jonas, with your uh, stand-up comedy, have you got any gigs coming up? Oh yeah, I actually um, I produce a show every month in Brooklyn. Uh, it's the fourth Thursday of every month. Uh, it's actually called the Traumedy Hour as well. Uh, where we focus on, you know, the darker side of comedy. Um, so that's every month uh, in Bushwick. 
Um, you can find me on social media to see when those shows are all happening because we actually do uh, do them all over the city. But the one that's constant is the last Thursday or fourth Thursday of every month. So on Twitter, I'm at Jonas Barnes. On Instagram, I'm at Jonas Barnes Comedy. Um, on Facebook, I actually have multiple profiles because I'm a naughty boy on Facebook, so I had to make a couple. Um, <laughs> but the one that you will always find me on is the one that uh, has a profile picture that is both Guy Fieri and Willem Dafoe as one person because I like to give people nightmares. <laughs> oh, thank so. God. It's, it's a brilliant picture. It really yeah. is. It's uh, Willem Dafieri. So. I'm going to take you to Flavortown. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, I do want to say um, for everyone who is listening to this episode, uh, hopefully this episode will make it out in time, but we will be doing for our 50th, our 50th episode. I cannot believe it. Uh, I can't believe who we've had on for just 50 episodes, Uh, but we will be doing, hopefully, all fingers crossed, our first kind of live video episode through Facebook youtube and anywhere else we can practically get our hands on so you can come and join us and come and chat with us and uh throw loads of abuse our way we're used to it and, and jonas i will catch up with you over in brooklyn as well while i'm there um as of next week uh, yeah so absolutely we'll, we'll we'll get together and and plot out what we'll do for july and we'll get you back on yes yeah i would i would love to do this again so i i appreciate you guys having me on and I always have fun nerding out about movies and especially ones that are, uh, oh, especially ones that tend to be shitty. So uh, <laughs> listen, I'm in the horror, I deal with horror stuff. So that that's, if you don't love a good shitty horror movie, then why are you even watching horror? In that case, you need to go back and listen to me and Steve doing the watch along of Deep Rising. Yeah. Schlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was quite schlocky. Yeah. Well, uh, we are out of here for another week. Thank you everyone for joining us. And uh, we will see you next time, and you'll see us too. Yes, and uh, if you can withstand the horror, then don't forget you can also follow us on uh, Twitter, at Pottywood. You can hop over to the uh, the subreddit, and uh, John is on Facebook, on LinkedIn, all, all of the socials is what we do. Yes, we're probably the only podcast that actually has <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, no idea why, but we've got one anyway, so... Uh, nerds <laughs> I know. Yeah. we 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 like to get those nerd chicks you know those business women <laughs> who just who get sick of having recruitment people contact them all day <laughs> and people wanting to build their website and then there's us right uh but for now it is a goodbye from me uh i've already left this is just my answering service and we'll <laughs> see you next time bye <laughs> Definitely dying to go to the toilet for the last 20 minutes. About the last hour. <laughs> <laughs>